Get your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone. Happy Monday. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle Smallman, Matthew Rocchio, Randy Carricker. Michelle, good morning. How was your weekend? It was wonderful, Randy. How about you? Good. A lot of sports. The Blues were really, really impressive in coming away with uh, three out of a possible four points. Very impressive. Um, I love to see the fight out of this team. And we asked the question last week, after a road trip like that, do you trust them? No. I don't either. I don't either. I don't feel great about it, even though you feel good this morning about what you saw this weekend. Uh, the uh, the trends this season say as soon as you start to feel good, that's when something will happen. Yep. The Blues will play the Arizona Coyotes tonight over at Enterprise Center. It's a 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock faceoff here on 101 ESPN. Meanwhile, the Cardinals will wrap, wrap up Grapefruit League action tomorrow. No games over the weekend. Saturday night they were rained out a day off yesterday, a scheduled day off, and so they'll play the Nationals today at noon and then tomorrow a 10 a.m. St. Louis time finale against the Marlins before they fly home to St. Louis for a workout on Wednesday. That's right. Happy home opener week, St. Louis. Here we are. Yeah, and this weekend, really the the one thing that they were able to accomplish, aside from a lot of backfield action yesterday. Everybody worked on the backfields yesterday, but the Cardinals did sign Harrison Bader to a new ten or two-year contract. Not a 10-year contract quite yet <laughs> for Harrison Bader. Two-year $10.4 million deal. Uh, Harrison had a couple of years of arbitration left, only two years before free agency. So why do this now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I definitely have, you know, intentions of having a longer extension in my career, obviously, but for where I'm at right now and considering and going through the first year of arbitration and having to again deal with it this time I just thought it was the best idea to you know try to create some resolution which Mo and the Cardinals were obviously very receptive to so I was very thankful to you know specifically Mo um, and the DeWitts and everybody involved in making this happen and again I think the uh, you know there's some interesting precedent that was set as a result of the uh, lockout that pushed you know hearings potentially into the season and just not having to deal with that I think the you know, the notion of finding resolution, you know, kind of, um, it's just far more important than, than the precedent that was set. So I'm just very happy, um, you know, now and, and for next year, and we'll readdress when the, when the time is right. And Michelle, one of the things that he said in his press conference was he looks at Yachty, he looks at Wayno, and he wants to be like them. He only wants to play for one team. 
And why wouldn't you? After you've seen the reception that they've got, the mm-hmm. success that they've had in this organization, I think it's very wise of Harrison Bader, very mature of him to realize the grass isn't always greener mm-hmm. somewhere else and that he could have everything he wants potentially in one location. But I, I also listened to what he said there, Randy, and I wonder how many guys with the uncertainty of the lockout when presented with something like this, they want that stability. They don't want to have to think about what could happen or deal with any more things that could be tenuous. They just want to focus on playing baseball. It does make all the sense in the world to me and to you. And it's really a mature approach on Harrison's part because if he has a bad year this year and has to go back into arbitration next year, he might not wind up with 10.4 over the two years. And so this is money in the bank. He's already got it. It's guaranteed. And he doesn't have to get pounded on during an arbitration hearing either, which is a good thing. Which I would want to avoid at all costs if I was a player. I would too. And if I'm the Cardinals, Harrison Bader is um, a sneaky engine for this team. And I want to have resolution with this too and make sure that he's happy with his situation. One other Cardinal note, the Pirates yesterday announced that JT Brubaker, a right-hander, is going to be their starter on Thursday on opening day. So we probably won't see, at least at the outset of the game, Albert Pujols in the lineup. Really? Because I know I know the matchup isn't there, but I also think there's going to be thousands and thousands of people that would like to see it. I would think so too, but if you're trying to win the game yeah. based on recent history, you gave Dickerson twice as much money as you gave Pujols. I understand all of those things, but if I'm filling out that lineup card, home opener St. Louis, he's in it. I don't really care who, really? who's on the mound. That's what I would do. I think I would go with Dickerson. I think wow. I'd go with the lefty. Albert hit less than 200 against right-handed pitching last year. Yeah. I understand, but I'm just thinking about the moment, and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about what everyone there has purchased a ticket for. And yes, you play to win the game, but I just feel like of all days that you're going to throw that out the window, Thursday would be it. (laughs) We will see 3 o'clock Thursday. And oh, by the way, 101 ESPN will be broadcasting live from the Budweiser Brewhouse inside Ballpark Village on Thursday for opening day. The home opener is here and will be set up just steps away from the stadium with us, the Midday Show, BK and Ferrario, the Fast Lane, all coming to you live Thursday from Ballpark Village, brought to you by Green Envy Lawn Care and Budweiser. Looking forward to that. We mentioned the Blues over the weekend, a crazy Easy weekend. Friday night, they're at Edmonton, okay? And they come away with a 6-5 overtime victory. But Jordan Bennington was pulled in the first period after allowing four goals. Coach Craig Ruby, how do you explain falling behind? I need saves. Anything else there? No, nothing. That's it. And the problem is Bennington's confidence, and he again looked like a flopping fish between the pipes before he was pulled. How does Binner get his confidence back? I don't know. Play better. I mean, he's got to play better. We all, oh, but I don't know. That's a tough question. None of us could play goal, but there are expectations for NHL goaltenders, especially NHL goaltenders that have had the level of success that he's had and have signed the contract that he's got. And right now, he's not living up to what he has been or what any of us, the Blues, fans, his teammates, expect. No, and so much of sports is mental. We tend to forget that because so many of these professional athletes go about their business every day and and we don't see what they endure from a mental perspective. But this is clearly something that Jordan Bennington is going to have to overcome. And patches, we've thought that maybe he's turned a corner, but then we see a game like we saw over the weekend. And I don't know how you overcome something mentally. If it's physical and you could just look at the tape or, or get out there on the ice and practice, 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 that's one thing. But for it to be a confidence issue, especially for someone who 
who's done it at the highest level mm-hmm. and the most pressurized moments. I mean, we I called him the flatliner because nothing ever seemed to affect him. This was a guy who thrived in the do I look nervous situation. And so to see him in this scenario now is is pretty surprising. And I don't know, just like Craig Bruby, where he goes from here. And there is precedent here in St. Louis because... Brian Elliott in 2012 had a 1.56 goals against and a 940 save percentage. The following year, in February and March, he had a 4.56 goals against and an 821 save percentage. So the Blues sent him to Peoria on a quote-unquote conditioning assignment. After a week there, and he had gone 21 days without starting a game for the Blues, he came back, Elliott did, went 11-2 and with a 1.28 and a 948 save percentage down the stretch. So there, there is precedent. Now, what you have to do is get Jordan Biddington hurt sometime, some way so that he can go on a conditioning assignment. Or if you're really gutsy, or maybe not, put him on waivers, get him through waivers, and send him to Springfield that way and try to get him straightened out. And if somebody takes him, heck, Charlie Lindgren had 41 saves on Saturday night for Springfield. He's been playing great. If somebody takes Jordan Biddington and that contract off your hands, maybe it wouldn't be a bad thing. Yeah, you could say an upper body injury. If you're dealing with something <laughs> mental, isn't it an upper <laughs> body point. injury? Yeah. I mean, it's not. you're not lying. <laughs> <laughs> so the Blues come away with the 6-5 overtime loss to Edmonton on Friday. Then on Saturday, a wild game. The Blues outshot 43-25. They beat the Flames by a score of 6-4. Nay dub the winning goal from Thomas. You, you want to fix that? <laughs> no, I, I honestly, Randy, I think I might need to get on board because nay dub's on fire. <laughs> yeah, seventh goal from Thomas and Letty. 1804 of the third. The Blues scored a couple of empty netters. Calgary scored in between. Six different Blues scored. Villejuso with 39 saves in that game. And Craig Bruby, a little bit different outlook on this game. You come in this building on a back-to-back night, <laughs> you're gonna, you better battle. And you better have a gutsy win because that's a very good team over there. And they just keep coming. And, uh, you know, it's, it's four lines. You know, they just keep coming. As they say, Michelle, not necessarily a Picasso. You get out shot 43-25, but you score six goals on those 25 shots, and that was a huge win for the Blues. It was, and even in the loss on Friday, that was a gutsy performance by mm-hmm. the Blues as well to battle back. I think that you could describe the entire weekend as gutsy by the Blues. Yeah. The NCAA championship game tonight, Kansas and North Carolina. CBC's Caleb Love with a game high 28, four rebounds as Carolina eliminated Duke and Coach K on Saturday night. So congratulations to Caleb Love. And tonight, Blue Bloods of all Blue Bloods, North Carolina and KU. How fun was that game? Duke, North Carolina was billed as one of the greatest college basketball games we'll ever see. And it lived up to the hype. It was down to the wire. I just love that it was a St. Louis kid with the dagger. I mean, he should be arrested for murder because he (laughs) he put the dagger to Coach K's career. But that was one of the all-time great sports moments that we got to see. I I feel like there's no way the championship game will live up to what we saw on Saturday. No, I was talking to somebody over the weekend whether or not it's a bigger story. It'll be more remembered that Coach K lost to North Carolina in his last game, mm-hmm. or he, he would have lost to KU in the championship game. I kind of have a feeling that because it was Duke-North Carolina, 
this will probably be more remembered than a loss to KU in the championship game would have. I agree with you. I and think especially, like you said, Michelle, the quality of the game. Yeah, it was so great. Um, Randy, I'm kind of in a glass case of emotion on who to root for because clearly I don't like Kansas because their coach left my school. Mm-hmm. And I can't cheer for North Carolina because they beat my school in the national championship game. So I just I hope for a good game that everyone has fun. I'm rooting for the St. Louis kid. And me too. I hope he has an awesome game. But I do have a lot of friends that are either KU fans or... KU grads. Really? Yeah, so it's tough for me, too. But I I think at the end of the day, I'll just root for the St. Louis kid that's there now in college. That's kind of how I feel, even though I clearly hate North Carolina with a fiery passion. I would love to see Caleb Love Love be the the hero again. And he's playing his best basketball in the tournament. He is a major Mm -hmm. catalyst to why they're here. I would not be surprised if he has an unbelievable game. By the way, I do that with all due respect to our friend Dave Peacock, who I know is listening. (laughs) And and I congratulated him over the weekend, and he's fired up. A KU grad, but... Hey, you'll have more people in St. Louis rooting for your team than North Carolina will. Caleb Love needs some support. And you know what? Whichever team loses, they'll likely be in this position in a few years anyway. Or next year. Or next year. There you go. Speaking of Duke, it's time for the Jason Tatum Minute. Jason Tatum is one of the best players in the NBA. Tatum drives down his city. Who do you got in the Super Bowl tonight? Oh, the St. Louis Rams. Oh, he can't let it go. The St. Louis Rams. It's time for the Jason Tatum Minute on Carriker and Smallman. Michelle, yesterday, Jason rebounding from his knee injury, 22 points, six boards, seven assists. In just 29 minutes, the Celtics drilled Washington 144 to 102. Boston in second place in the East, two games behind Miami. So they still have a chance in the last week of the season to come away with the Eastern Conference Championship. I don't think it really matters whether you finish first or second in the East. And that's going to be a gauntlet for whoever does win the East and is in the finals in the playoffs. If you get there, you're going to earn it. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't wait to see Jason Tatum in the playoffs again. We'll be having a lot of fun with the Jason Tatum Minute. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's When he is in there, he's great. And what a difference Jalen Brown makes when he's back. To have a big two like Tatum and Brown makes all the difference in the world for the Celtics. So let's go, Celtics. <laughs> and the Lakers, by the way, lost. Lakers, if the... San Antonio Spurs would lose the rest of their games. The Lakers would have to go 3-1 and one to make the playoffs. So unlikely that we see the classic Celtics-Lakers finals this year. I can tell that you're torn up about that. I'm crushed. I know. I can really feel it. I'm really sad. <laughs> and Anthony Davis says, all I think about is what could have been. Well, yeah, you, you could have finished in 10th. <laughs> Good up. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, start one, bench one, cut one. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. It's coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Character and Smallman. Solid athlete, solid arm. Start one. Warm up. You're going in. Bench one. Mediocre. Hit the shower. Cut one. You're off the team. I put head. What? Start one, bench one, cut one on Character and Smallman. We'd love to have you play. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780. Michelle, Randy, and Matthew with you. And Michelle, this is supposed to be difficult, so I'm going to make it difficult for you, okay? Okay. Start one, bench one, cut one. You're in the stands as a fan on Thursday. Adam Wainwright, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols. Start one, bench one, cut one. Well, I'm going to start Adam Wainwright because he's starting the game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to bench Yadier Molina. 
Um, and I'm going to cut Albert Pujols. Fair enough. I think I would do the same thing. And in order of importance that day, I think, too. Right, because you got to get as many starts for Wayno and Yachty yep. as you possibly can. Absolutely. So, yeah, that one seemed actually pretty easy for me. Good. I have one that might be difficult for you. So I was thinking about this over the weekend as we uh, embark on this. I don't know. Are we going to call it the last dance? Are we going to give it a different name? I, I don't really know how to describe it because some people don't like the last dance because they say these three guys deserve their own title for what mm-hmm. this final season or what we think this final season might be for Albert Yachty and Wayno, but we love our guys here in St. Louis, and these three are they're they're our guys. for For so many people, these are three of the best Cardinals that they will ever see embarking on this final chance to win a championship together here in St. Louis. If they were to win the World Series this year, those three guys, this would be one of the most unbelievable sports stories we've ever seen. It would. So let's say, Randy. The Cardinals win the World Series this year. The Cardinals win the World Series this year. Thank you very much. Start one, bench one, cut one. The 2022 Cardinals with Albert, Yachty, and Wayno winning in the last mm-hmm. dance. The Blues in 19 mm-hmm. going on the unbelievable Gloria run and winning their first Stanley Cup championship mm-hmm. in franchise history. And the Rams, after Trent Green's injury, coming back with Kurt Warner winning the Super Bowl in 99 on the tackle. Start one, bench one, cut one. Okay, and I'm, this is for today, right? Yes. I know I'm never going to see another Super Bowl championship in my town. So I'm going to start the Rams. Okay. I'm going to uh, bench the Blues because I've never seen one before. And I'm going to cut the Cardinals because in my lifetime, I've seen them win in 82 mm-hmm. and in 06 and in 11. So as unbelievable as that would be with those three, I, I may never see the Blues again in my lifetime. I know I'm not going to see the Super Bowl again in my lifetime. And I've been spoiled by the Cardinals with three in my lifetime. I know even if they were to win this year and the storylines were amazing, would it would it top 11? I don't know. Be hard to. You know, that's we have been so spoiled with the Cardinals. It's unbelievable that yeah. we could hypothesize that three icons, three franchise icons could go out on top and it still might not be the best World Series we've ever seen. <laughs> that's right. It's amazing. All right, your tech 65780 and and Matthew Rocchio is here. What do you got for us? Getting into the important stuff right off the bat from the 314. Star one, bench one, cut one. Texas Roadhouse Rolls, Red Lobster Cheddar Bay Biscuits, or Olive Garden Breadsticks. It's the appetizers, baby. Well, it's the bread basket. Um, okay, so we've got Olive Garden, right? We've got... Uh, Olive Garden Roadhouse Rolls and uh, Cheddar Bay Biscuits from Red Lobster. Okay, so this yes, is going to be easy for me. Um I've never been to what's it what's it called Roadhouse? Texas Roadhouse. I've never been to Texas Roadhouse, so I'm going to cut that one. Okay, my family calls it the Road Crib. The Road Crib. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Well, um simply because I've never been there, I will cut it. I'm going to bench the Olive Garden breadsticks and I think it's a no-brainer that you have to start the Red Lobster Cheddar Bay biscuits. They're absolutely sensational. I am going to cut the Olive Garden breadsticks. Yes. I have a very difficult choice here. The Roadhouse rolls are really good. They're warm and they're delicious. Are they your traditional white roll? Like what are they? Okay. Uh, Freshly baked. But I can get a great roll other places. Those Cheddar Bay Biscuits are unique. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start the Cheddar Bay Biscuits as well, Michelle. I'm going to I'm going to bench the uh, Texas Road Crib rolls and I am going to cut the Olive Garden breadsticks. Nice. Matthew, how about you? Well, the, uh yeah, you start the yeah, you start the Cheddar Bay biscuits absolutely. You can throw honestly, yeah, you cut the breadsticks and you bench that. That was an easy one. They have uh, one, by the way at Schnook's Cheddar Bay biscuit mix from Red Lobster. So, for example, if you're putting together a 
a, a brunch for Easter, those Cheddar Bay biscuits are great. Mm-hmm. Also, I'm just, I'm, I'm just biscuits all day. Here's one for you, Michelle, if you didn't go to Texas Pro House. 618 says, start one, bench one, cut you, cut one, Iota Sunmu, Kofi Coburn, Darren Williams. Okay. Um, this one's pretty... I know who you're starting. Who? Darren Williams. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I'm going to start Darren. 05 was a magical season. I'm going to bench Io because he came back and his number's hanging in the rafters too. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to cut Kofi, even though Kofi is a special Illini as well. I would go the exact same direction if I were as emotionally attached as you. Or not. Just being oh, objective, I, standing from afar. I was going to say, even if you're not emotionally attached, I don't know how you don't start yeah. Darren Williams. That yeah. 05 team is the best team in the history right. of, the, of the program. I feel like this is going to be a, a thread throughout the day. 618 says, start one, bench one, cut one. Now that we know the Pirates are starting a right-hander, Albert, Dickerson, or Newt Bar for the DH spot. Listen, I know you don't agree with me, Randy. There's mm-hmm. no there's no way. There's no way, No Randy. way if there's I'm no Ali Marmol that I am not writing in number five on the home opener. I don't care who is opposite him. I don't care who the pitcher is. You've got to start Albert Pujols at the home opener. You've got every other game to play the matchups. You've got an entire season to focus on that. Everybody there bought a ticket to see Albert Pujols. Or they would like to see him. So I'm going to start Albert. I'm going to bench Dickerson, cut Newbar. Michelle, Katie Wu has today's lineup up on Twitter. Katie Wu, our friend from The Athletic. And she tweets, looks like an opening day lineup to me with Carlson, Goldschmidt, O'Neill, Arenado, Pujols, DeYoung, Molina, Bader, Edmund. And I think, let's let me take a quick look here. Dickerson has not had a great spring. So... I'm, I'm obviously going to cut uh, Newt Bar in this situation. I think that... No, nah, I, I got him. Albert was so bad against right-handed pitching next last year. I got to start Dickerson. Albert's going to get his introduction. He can p- pinch it later in the game. But I got to start Dickerson. I gotta, I, I'm going to start Dickerson. I'm going to bench Albert. I'm going to cut Lars. Okay, you get one moment in sports. This is from the 573. A Harry Kane hat trick against Arsenal, a Pujols walk off grand slam against the Cubs, or an O'Reilly overtime winner against the Avalanche. Okay, well, I don't care about Harry Kane, so he's cut. Um, Pujols against the Cubs, did we say? Yes. Pujols, Cubs, and Ryan O'Reilly, what was it? Overtime Overtime goal against the Avalanche. Okay, I'm going to cut Harry Kane because, sorry, don't really care. I'm going to bench Ryan O'Reilly overtime against the Avs, and I'm starting Pujols against the Cubs because that's the last time we're going to see that is this season. And hopefully we have much more of Ryan O'Reilly overtime moments, especially against the Avalanche. I am going to – are we assuming, by the way, that this is an O'Reilly goal in the regular season overtime against the Avs? He didn't say playoff overtime. Okay, so we have to assume it's regular season. Because there are half as many hockey games as baseball games, I'm going to take the O'Reilly game winner against the Avs to start. I am going to bench Albert's success against the Cubs. And I'm like you, Michelle, I, I don't completely not care. But I might find out about Harry King getting a hat trick three days later. So I'm going to cut Harry King. <laughs> you find out three days later. <laughs> and start one, bench one, cut one. Here we go. Another one of these. Seven five seven three. Opening day for the St. Louis Cardinals. Opening day for the Blues. Or the very first ever opening day for STL SC. STL, STL City SC. Hmm. 
Well, that's, I think, a little unfair to put the inaugural game of a franchise up against an opening day for other clubs, mm-hmm. even as special as both of those are. I think you're going to have to start that one. It's the first time ever, mm-hmm. and it's going to be a very special and magical day in St. Louis sports history. So I'm going to start the inaugural game for City SC. I will bench Cardinals home opener, and I will cut the Blues home opener, even though it's a, an awesome day in St. Louis. The only Blues home opener that I really remember, well, the opponent, is Washington when they played against them after they had won the Stanley Cup. I do have distinct memories of Cardinal opening days, like I don't for Blues opening days. So I'm like you, Michelle, I think I would, I I know I would go with a one of one. There's only going to be one ever opening day for St. Louis City SC. I will bench the Cardinals and I will cut Blues opening day. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up, there's a story of Bruin down in Augusta. Tiger might play in the Masters. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Carricker, yesterday at about 9 o'clock, Tiger Woods apparently was in Jupiter, Florida, and decided to hop on the Twitter machine and tweeted, I will be heading up to Augusta today to continue my preparation and practice. It will be a game-time decision on whether I compete. Congratulations to 16-year-old Anna Davis on an amazing win at the Anwa Golf, and look forward to uh, good luck to all the kids in the drive chip putt. So uh, a two-pronged tweet there. But the story, Michelle, was that Tiger is going to play Augusta, and he did again yesterday, and he may play starting Thursday in the championship. And by the way, it's amazing how people follow him, isn't it? People, oh, yeah. people follow his airplane and, and try to break stories. But who would have thought this could happen after he had the horrific car accident, February 23rd of 2021, nearly had his leg amputated. But this is the 25-year anniversary of his first Masters win. It's unbelievable that it's been 25 years. Yeah. That just it shows you what a force he's been. But I love that everything he does leading up to this is being absolutely analyzed, whether it's his shoes that he's wearing that aren't Nikes, or mm-hmm. as you mentioned, the plane. Because Tiger is one of the most transcendent athletes we've ever seen. It's beyond sports with Tiger. We are so invested in him and in his storyline and in this, uh, this return of his. And he's overcome a lot in his career. If he is able, 18 months after this car crash, to be able to play in the Masters and walk around and compete, it's going to be one of the great sports stories we've ever seen we've got take it or leave it coming up but i'm going to give you an early one take it or leave it winning this masters just from a physical standpoint would be more impressive than winning the u.s open at torrey pines in 2008 on a broken leg and a torn acl that's really (laughs) tough because you know and and the immediacy of that i'm sure the the pain was unbelievable mm-hmm. and the way that he was able to stand and the angles he had to torque his knee. I mean, watching those videos, I'm like, how did he do that? But I, I think 
just because of the severity of these injuries and and the fact that we thought he may not ever walk again, mm-hmm. that he could potentially lose, lose a limb. A I mean, yeah, it was so severe. I think that it might be more impressive, which is crazy that we mm-hmm. when we think about the back and the knee and all the mental stuff that he had to overcome. And now this car crash. What can't this guy do? I don't put one thing past him. And of course, there's all these people down there yesterday that saying he didn't miss a shot yesterday, that he his swing looked unbelievable. His ball placement was unbelievable that he looks like he hasn't missed any speed or distance and to think that obviously he had to be training leading up to that most people might not even be at the position to start training right now after an injury like this let alone be at the position tiger woods is and in. just go back to christmas time and granted that was let's see we've had january february march now you've had three months but he had to ride a cart for moments in that pnc championship when he was playing with his son charlie he is such a highly motivated and focused guy. I won't be at all surprised, Michelle, if we get to the end of Friday and he's in the lead. I would be really, really surprised if he could do it for four days. But because he's Tiger, I wouldn't be at all surprised because of his familiarity with the course and because of that focus if he would have a level of success at some point in this tournament. Despite everything, if he plays, aren't you picking him to win? I can't... I, I, doesn't it feel gonna, like a Tiger Woods moment? Like there's just some people you don't bet against. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Tiger Woods is one of them. Yeah, I'll, I'll absolutely on the FanDuel Sportsbook, I will have him to lead after Friday. I'm going to take those odds because I think there's a chance. Now you talked about the interest in him. There's a Twitter page called Eureka Earth and they tracked his plane from Palm Beach yesterday to Augusta, had a picture of Tiger on the practice range, reported the Tiger was playing solo and started on the back nine. There's the Tiger tracker on on Twitter, uh, you mentioned all the people that were there reporting on what he's doing. There's more interest in Tiger than any other athlete. That includes LeBron James. That includes Tom Brady. The level of interest in Tiger is absolutely incredible to me. And from his peers as well. I was mm-hmm. reading about you know what he did over the weekend last night, and he was hitting a bag of balls yesterday, and there was all these reports about all the other golfers not focusing on what they needed to do because they wanted to take a peek at Tiger and see how he looked. And think about so many of these guys that either competed with him or grew up loving Tiger. Some of these athletes might be in this position because of Tiger Woods. And so to see him out there again, getting ready, hopefully, fingers crossed, to play, I wouldn't be able to focus on what I needed to do either. I'd be peeking looks at Tiger as well. When there, when Tiger was at the top of his game, there were a lot of people, I think it was because he was so great, that wanted to see him fail, that rooted against him. I get the sense that he's become such an endearing and kind of somewhat sympathetic figure that there aren't many people that are rooting against Tiger Woods now. Yeah, I'd be curious if if anyone is rooting against him now. And I think everything that he dealt with in his personal life really humanized him. Um, You know, there's, of course, a ton of people who don't agree with what he did. But I think to see someone who was at the peak, the tippy, tippy top of the world and of their profession and of monetary success, all of these things and fall so far and then find a way to come back and win. I think that this is what we love about sports. This is what we love in America as a redemption story. But In sports, we love greatness. We watch sports Mm -hmm. because of greatness. And who is greater than Tiger Woods? I mean, no matter what has been laid out before him, he's found a way to overcome it. And I think that that's, if if you're a sports fan at all, how are you not rooting to see Tiger Woods come back from this horrific car accident the way he's come back from so many other things? There's no way that... We'll be at the Cardinal game on Thursday and won't have our phones focused on the Masters. Yeah. 
And you mentioned the guys on the driving range taking a peek to see how he's doing. I wonder what it'll be like if he does play for the people that he's paired with on Thursday. The crowd will be enormous. Mm -hmm. But if I were playing with him and I was a pro, if I'm taking a peek to see how he's hitting on the range, I'm probably paying attention to his game while I'm playing with him, too. Well, I always go back to the PGA Championship here in St. Louis, the only time that I've ever been in an environment like that with Tiger in person. And the energy around Tiger that weekend, and especially on Sunday when we thought he had a chance to win, that he could win. It was like the Beatles, Randy. It was unbelievable the amount of people that followed him and everyone holding their breath when he was shooting because you didn't want to make a peep. And that energy just pulsates. And if you're another golfer, that's really difficult to overcome. And then you combine that with his return and everything else that's playing into this. So much of golf is mental. I I don't know if I was uh, in opposition to Tiger, if I would be able to compartmentalize that no. mentally. It'd be very difficult. One other quick point here. And I, I've had this conversation with people that are as old as I am or older than I am that like all sports. And Tiger winning in 2019 at the Masters is one of the great sports stories, not just one of the great golf stories, one of the great sports stories of all time, and maybe one of the great comebacks of all time, if not the best. If he does it again, if he has another of the best sports stories of all time, He's going to have to be right at the top of the list. When you talk about Ali and you talk about Jordan and the greatest athletes of all time, is he if he's able to pull it off again, you got to have him right there in that conversation. If he's not already, you have to say, okay, this is enough. We, we saw Ali come back multiple times. We saw Michael come back mm-hmm. multiple times. This will be another one of those stories that will put Tiger right in that conversation. I think he's already in that conversation. And if he does it this weekend, I think he goes right to the top. And going back to that Masters, you mentioned Tiger being a sympathetic figure mm-hmm. now that people are rooting for him. I think that Masters, not only him coming back and winning, but the parallels between his dad and you saw his children running into his arms. And I, I just think all of us looked at him and we found a little bit of ourselves in that moment because of our parents or or, or our kids, whatever your life situation is. I don't know how many people saw his son running into his arms and you weren't emotional watching that moment. And then, of course, seeing the playback to to he and his dad when he won his first Masters. Bottom line, even if he plays poorly, do you want him to play? If if I tell you right now, okay, he's going to play, but he's he's not going to make the cut. Are you? Do you still want to watch? Do you of still course. want to see it? Yes. I do too. Yes. I yeah. want every ounce of it that I can possibly yep. take injected into my veins. I can't wait to see him. I, I go back to Iris in the natural, in the natural, uh, and uh, Roy asks her, "Why did you stand up in the stands?" And she says, "Because I didn't want to see you fail." Well, I don't want to see him fail, but I want to see him. It's more important that I see him that for another time, whether he fails or not. To me. Even if he doesn't have success, it's not a failure because it's one step closer to him getting back. He has to test the waters to determine what he's going to be able to do. So I think any forward progress is not failure. That's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Take it or leave it is coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Take it 
or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's Take It or Leave It with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line. Michelle, Matthew, Randy, and it's time for Take It or Leave It. Michelle, this bulletin from Elite Daily. Khloe Kardashian reportedly has told serial cheater Tristan Thompson <laughs> that it is over what? between them and she's dating someone new. Now, now she tells him it's over? Apparently. They're, they have a baby together, a youngster. Uh, take it or leave it. This is final, and Chloe and Tristan will never be an item again. I'm taking it. I think after he got someone else pregnant again, that she, that should, happens. she should move on. Yeah, so sometimes things don't work out. That's true. Sometimes you try to prevent, and it just doesn't work. It's like the prevent defense. You know, I, I wonder, though, how hard he was trying. I, it sounds like he's got more of an amoeba defense, <laughs> as our friend Rick Venturi would like yeah. to say. Uh, yeah, it's uh, as as they say, all the prevent defense does is prevents winning. So yeah, he was his his prevent defense was well. Let's just put it this way: it had some holes in it. Oh, Randy! Oh, Randy! <laughs> I uh, I wish Chloe all the best. I do too. I hope she finds happiness. Uh, she's wonderful. Don't know her, but that's a pr- that's a tough thing to go through publicly. It's a tough thing to go through. Period. But publicly, yeah, it it's really, I mean, it's and humiliating. With, especially with that family's desire to keep everything as private That's as right. they do. That's right. I, I can't imagine that being a public thing and them having to go through that. Yeah, that's terrible. Would you go through that publicly if you knew that you <laughs> would make the, no. the amount of money that they make? Would you do that? Would no. you Would you sell out your privacy for the amount of money that they make? I wouldn't do that. And by the way, I won't sell myself out to watch an episode of their show. I've yeah. never seen their show. Never. Not once. And I don't think that I could reduce myself to that level. Yeah, I don't know if I could do that. I just imagine anywhere they go, it it feels like open season on people mm-hmm. anyway because of, you know, we have a tiny computer and a filming device in our hands at mm-hmm. all times. But when you put yourself in reality TV, I, I'm assuming people have no qualms about filming you or taking your pictures. Right. You probably can't do anything or go anywhere. It's not just privacy you lose when you're on the show. I imagine it's your privacy 24-7 that you're sacrificing. And I don't I don't know if I could do that. I'm with you. Okay, Randy. So um, speaking of television, Carlos Beltran getting into TV. So he's going to be a new TV analyst for the Yes Network with the Yankees. And he sat down with Michael Kay for an interview. And he talks, I think, for the first time in pretty great detail about the Astros sign-stealing scandal in 2017. And it's airing today. The full interview is going to air today. But Yes sent out a couple excerpts and a couple quotes from the interview. And it's got some people talking, some of the things that Carlos Beltran discusses with Michael Kay. Um, I think this quote is a little interesting and I wanted to share it with you. So Michael Kay asks Carlos Beltran, where did the Astros cross the line in 2017? He says, well, Michael, looking back now, yes, we did cross the line. We all did what we did. Looking back today, we were wrong. I wish I would have asked more questions about what we were doing. I wish the organization would have said to us, hey, man, what you guys are doing, we need to stop this. Take it or leave it. 
What? <laughs> I'll take it. He came up with the scheme. What, Carlos? <laughs> That's your defense? That you wish the organization, who didn't really know all the intricacies of what you were doing in the clubhouse and with the banging of the trash cans in the video, would have intervened and stopped you? That's mm-hmm. your defense? Michelle, A.J. Hinch, even what? though he didn't do it, he didn't initiate the scheme, Carlos Beltran did, A.J. Hinch owned it. And said, hey, we cheated. I was there. I have to take responsibility for this. Jeff Luno has not. Alex Cora has. If I'm another team looking at Carlos Beltran as potentially a manager in the future, I want him to take ownership of the situation. Say, yeah, you know what? It was, I started it. It's my fault. We did cheat. And if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't. I, I don't want to have him putting it on the front office saying, well, they didn't tell us to stop. Yeah, he he also goes on, by the way, to say that uh, the Astros front office got a letter about this and they never shared it with us as players and I wish they would have. Do you really think if they would have shared the letter that you would have stopped what you were doing? He goes on, by the way, to tell Michael Kay, we were having a lot of success. It was working for us, you know? And he does ad- admit that what they did was wrong and he says we've all taken responsibility, but you're not really admitting your wrongs if you're also still casting blame on other people. Bingo. You're the one that orchestrated this. You were a player. You executed this. You're the one that won while you were simultaneously cheating. I, I don't know. That just it blew my mind that he would somehow say that the front office or the organization as a whole should have intervened. I think I reflect most of America in being much more willing to provide a second chance and to be sympathetic towards a figure if he just takes it all on his shoulders and says, yeah, it was me. It, it's my fault. I did it. Yeah. Rather than say, well, the front office didn't tell us to stop because it sounds to me like he's making excuses. Also, even if the front office, which they've never really admitted to, knew everything that was going on, do you really think that they're going to march down to the dugout? How, what are they going to do? Is Jeff Luna going to sit in the dugout and make sure that no one's right. cheating? I mean, how are they going to police that? They really can't. Yeah, it's preposterous. All right, your tech 65780. Matthew Rocchio is here. What do you got, big boy? Take it or leave it. This interview is going to have some gems like that throughout it. I, it. I cannot oh, wait yes. to hear this is going to be... Yeah. Amazing. I mean, they were, we were going to get comedy out of some of the answers we get from Beltran in this interview. This is going to be fantastic. And you know, I always say when you've worked in media, you should therefore work in PR because you know how mm-hmm. the system works. You've had since 2017 to craft these answers. Yep. You knew this is not as if this is in the immediacy of this and you don't know what to say. Like some of those guys that were very indignant about it when it first happened. This was a pre-planned interview. You knew what was happening. All you had to do is say, looking back on it, I'm ashamed. You know, there's no room for cheating in the game. Mm -hmm. I've learned my lesson. I've evolved as a person and I look forward to my next chapter. And I'm so thrilled to be back in baseball. The end. The end. Right. It's so easy, Carlos. Like, what are you doing? And why not hire a PR person, a media hire consultant? Me, Carlos. I yeah. will help you, buddy. It's not that hard. It's not that hard. From the three eight six, take it three eight six, take it or leave it. Wainwright ends the season just short of two hundred two hundred wins and comes back for one more year to get it. I'm gonna leave that. Because I still think, Michelle, that at the end of the day, that his growing family is and his ability to spend time with that family is going to take precedent. 
it was not an easy choice last year. He was when he would come on with us every week. He would debate. I, th- I think he almost wanted to have that internal debate and talked about it with us whether or not he was going to come back. And then his family said, "Yeah, go ahead and go back." But I wonder at what point the family says, "What else can you do?" I think that would be a very difficult decision because of everything you just outlined um, with his family. That was a, a tough decision for him to make. And I wonder, you know, without Yachty there, would it feel the same? You know, it's it's a little different. They, those two hermanos are joined at the hip. But, Randy, if you think about Adam Wainwright's legacy and you think he's on the cusp of maybe being in the Hall of Fame conversation, that 200-win mark is certainly nice to have on the resume. It is, but I, I get the sense, though, and people, granted, Don Sutton is in the Hall of Fame. He got 300 wins, and people accused him of hanging around until he got to 300. And I would get the sense, and I love Al, uh, I love Adam Wainwright, but I would get the sense that he was just hanging around for 200 wins. I don't know, Randy. Right now, he's the Cardinals' best pitcher. <laughs> I don't think he's hanging well, around. I mean, let's, he's, let's he's, hope, he's their ace. <laughs> let's hope that at the age of 40, he can still be that guy. There's not many guys that weren't in the steroid era that pitched exceptionally well at that age. It's fair. Brady, Albert, and now Tiger. Grown men are wearing backwards hats. Take it or leave it. 2022 is the year of the comeback. And Alex Ferrario. I'm going to take it. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to leave it because it's not a comeback because it never left. Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. I mean, Ken Griffey Jr. has been doing it since the 90s. Kids my age, Randy, we love a backwards hat. There's, I don't think it's ever left. And there is that debate, and it's actually a debate that has a lot of opinion as to whether or not there should be an age limit for the backward cap. I find it uncomfortable. I, I don't do it that way just because I find it uncomfortable. But if you, if you, if you find it comfortable and the place you're at will let you do it, go for it. Mm-hmm. Take it or leave it. This is from 314. Goldie, Arenado, and O'Neal will be the 2020s version of the MV3. Leave it. Goldie, Arenado, and O'Neal. Well, those would be the three candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, the positions would line up. I would love kind of. to take it, but I just don't know if I can. <laughs> I would love to take it. The problem that you have is that you have people like Matt Olson and Francisco Lindor and... Mookie Betts in the league, Fernando Tatis, Manny Machado. I think there are too many guys for the Cardinals to have three players that finish three, four, five in the MVP voting. That's my thing with it. I think they have a chance to all three be very good, but the league wasn't as good in 2004 when those three did what they did. Take it or leave it. He's already there. Tiger is bigger than Ali. I'm going to leave that. You know, that one's really difficult for me because of the eras. I'm Tiger made golf accessible for people that never even considered golf. I mean, he mm-hmm. he changed the accessibility of the sport. He changed the popularity of the sport. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that Ali is this, uh, you know, he's a, a cherished figure in history for so many reasons. But when I think about the accessibility we have to athletes now and the way that we're able to consume them on different levels, I almost want to take it because there's so many more people that have access to Tiger Woods and have been affected by him just because of the technology that we have today. The thing about Ali was is that he was accessible in that you could touch and feel him. And he would go to Manila and there would be 
20,000 people around him, and he would be shaking hands and glad-handing and talking to them. He could go anywhere, and he would go anywhere on the globe, and he was physically accessible to people and just made a tremendous impact on people's lives because of his religion, because of his change in religion, because of his stance on the war. And there were more things for people to complain about in 1969, 1970, the early 70s, than there are now. Not that Tiger isn't more recognizable. Because of the technology that you talk about, we certainly have more technological accessibility to Tiger. But I just believe that Ali was more of a social difference maker than Tiger Woods. And part of that is the time that he lived in. It's it's impossible to be as socially... uh, to, to move the social thought process in the world as much as Ali did if you tried to do it now. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thank you very much for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Oakland Athletics traded one of their starting pitchers. Should the Cardinals have gotten that guy? A fresh perspective on the day's biggest stories. It's Carriker and Smallman's Fresh Take. Brought to you by the Schnooks Rewards app. Check out Good For You. A free wellness program available in the app today. With Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carriker. It's 805. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. And Michelle, the Cardinals still trying to figure out who that fifth starter is going to be with Jack Flaherty on the shelf. Will it be Drew Verhagen, who played last year in Japan? Will it be Jake Woodford, who has had middling success as a starter so far in the major leagues? Will it be Jordan Hicks as an opener? Who are mm-hmm. we going to see? Well, yesterday, the A's traded solid starter Sean Manaya, but not to the Cardinals. He was traded to the Padres for two prospects, infielder Arubiel Angeles and right-hander Adrian Martinez went to Oakland in the deal. Angeles was ranked as the number 12 prospect for the Padres. Martinez checked in at number 26. By comparison, the Cardinals' number 12 prospect is Brendan Donovan. And the Cardinals system isn't as good as San Diego's. I'm just trying to go apples to apples here. And the Cardinals' number 23 prospect, the pitcher closest to 26, is a guy named Gordon Grafesso. That's who the A's got for Sean Manaya, who's due 9.75. The Cardinals are going to be about $5 million shy of last year's payroll when the season opens on Thursday. I sure wish, especially in this last year of the, play, the, the older players, I wish the Cardinals would have gotten Sean Manaya. I do too, especially for what was given up for him. I think that that's pretty palatable, especially for the Cardinals, if you're comparing prospects. But, Randy, I try to be positive, and the way that I interpret this is they must feel pretty comfortable about where Jack Flaherty is if they aren't rushing out to add that depth. And I know that that fifth starter is up for grabs, and I I do think um, it's really interesting, the Jordan Hicks angle to this, that um, Ali Marmol and the Cardinals might use this as a breeding ground for some experimentation and use an opener and get Jordan Hicks some reps in there. I actually love that they're thinking outside the box and they're not just thinking linear about where to slot somebody in there. But 
I don't know, maybe I'm being naive and given the Cardinals injury history where they feel confident about something and then it doesn't pan out that way. Mm -hmm. Maybe they should have gone out and added that depth. But if I'm reading the tea leaves here, it seems to me that they must feel pretty good about Jack Flaherty if they're not going out and they're adding someone else. I just anticipate that somebody else is going to get hurt. And last year, we remember seeing San Diego down the stretch and they started the season with one of the best rotations in baseball and wound up having to start Jake Arrieta and Vince Velasquez against the Cardinals in September, and I I just... I'm one of those people who thinks that you can never have too much pitching, and for one year at 9.75, in a year where your manager said at the beginning of spring training, we expect to win the World Series, it just seems to me that the Cardinals should be making more of an effort to fortify that starting pitching, because while they might do some creative things with Jordan Hicks, as a fan, I don't know that this will be the case. I would rather have Jordan Hicks in my bullpen. And I'd rather have a guy... I'd feel better about Sean Manaya starting on the first in the first week of the season and Jordan Hicks coming out of the bullpen than Jordan Hicks starting a game and then having to use eight of your ten relievers in back of him. Uh, yeah, I'm not against them being creative here. I like that they're looking at their group of pitchers as a whole especially this group of relievers and saying that they can be used as weapons in different ways. And they're trying to, to think of creative ways to deploy these guys. Um, especially Jordan Hicks as an opener. I think that that could be really beneficial for the Cardinals if they're able to execute that correctly. And I know what you're saying about, about using guys in certain spots and more importantly, not burning guys out and having guys available to you, especially if injuries do arise, which happens every single season. And I I would have liked to see them go out and get Chaminade. We had talked about that. He would have slotted in very nicely. We talked about this with Greg Gamsinger weeks weeks ago that he wanted to come here. Um, But... I don't, I don't know. It is a bit of a head-scratcher, which is why the only reason that I can come up with is that they're going to be creative in the interim mm-hmm. until Jack Flaherty comes back. And, I mean, he's. we talked to Mike Claiborne, who spoke to Jack Flaherty, who said he's feeling healthy, that this is just kind of precautionary. And fingers crossed, because would you rather have Jack Flaherty or Sean Manaya? Of course you'd rather have Jack Flaherty. And we talked about Adam being 40. We have Miles Michaelis and... Uh, Dakota Hudson, who combined for 11 appearances last year. You don't know what you're going to get out of those guys. You hope that Steven Matz can turn in the performance that he turned in last year, but last year was a career year for him. Now, last year in Oakland, Manaya made 32 starts, had a 3.92 ERA, 3.66 FIP, had 194 strikeouts, and he gave them almost 180 innings. So I'm just looking at it in in terms of workload. Do the Cardinals have enough guys to handle the starting pitcher's workload? And, oh, by the way, the Padres with this deal, their starters now are Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove, who had a really good year last year, former Cy Young Award winner Blake Snell, Mike Clevenger, who will be ready early in the season, probably won't be ready for opening day, Chris Paddock, who had a terrific year two years ago, Nick Martinez, who's kind of their version of Drew Verhagen, the Cardinals had interest in Martinez. He had spent four years in Japan. Denelson Lamette, who was great two years ago, injured last year. We know that <laughs> with Dakota Hudson. Mm-hmm. Ryan Weathers and Mackenzie Gore, the rookie. They're just loading up on the number of starting pitchers they have with the Padres. I believe even with the absence early in the season of Fernando Tatis Jr., because of that pitching, they're going to be competitive. And then when they get Tatis back, 
if their pitching is what it is now and they don't trade any, they'll have an opportunity to make a run. And, and that's what I want the Cardinals to do. I want the Cardinals to have good enough starting pitching that they can go on a run where they win 17 games in a row. That would be fun, wouldn't it, if that could happen? Um, Especially last year, though, where we thought the Cardinals pitching depth was going to be one of their strengths, and then that was tested, and we realized that they could have used a little Mm -hmm. more. You'd think that after last year, when Jack Flaherty was not available, and we saw how it impacted the team, that the Cardinals would be even more cautious about something like that this season. One thing that we need to note here, Michelle, is that the Padres are in a different situation. Their owner is willing, especially with the only franchise in town, He's willing, apparently, to approach the luxury tax and spend what it takes to win a championship. They've never won a championship. The Cardinals are taking a different approach with the fact that they didn't have fans two years ago, had a limited number of fans last year, weren't able to open up the entire stadium until June, and never had a full house all season long. The Cardinals... Like it or not, they treat this as a business. They aren't in this business to lose money. And that's why their payroll is $5 million less than it was last year. Because they have not made the amount of money in the last two years that they have made in the past. If they had, if we hadn't had a pandemic, I'm convinced that the Cardinal payroll would be higher than it was a couple of years ago. But that's just not the case. We did have a pandemic. We had a pandemic here, and 10 people lost their jobs Mm -hmm. at our radio stations. So... Most businesses, I think, were affected. Unless you're in the home improvement industry, they did really well. But Mm -hmm. a lot of businesses did lose money, and the Cardinals are one of those. But they're going to be generating a lot of revenue this season. There's going to be a lot Mm -hmm. of butts in seats. And uh, you know what else generates revenue, Randy? Winning a World Series championship. That's going to line your pockets with some cash. And I hope that if they're taking more of a wait-and-see approach right now, that when it comes to the trade deadline, if this team is in contention, that they're aggressive. I hope that mm-hmm. we see John Mozalek in the front office really push all the chips in and do everything that they can. Maybe not now, but I expect it down the line. And we're going to have Bill DeWitt on the show on Wednesday at 9 o'clock, so we'll, we'll ask him about that, whether or not in not getting a guy like Manaya is the approach more towards seeing what you have and don't have at the trade deadline because that's what they like to do and seeing if uh, maybe there is with all of their prospects the possibility that they'll make a trade at that point. That's Michelle, I'm Randy and that's today's Fresh Take. Coming up the voice of your St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Time now for Curbside with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. Brought to you by Sliman Brothers with five St. Louis area locations to serve you. The Blues back in action tonight. They've been busy. They've got the Arizona Coyotes in town, and we've got the pregame for you at 6, the action at 7 with Chris Kerber and Joe Vitale. And Curbs joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Randy, I'm doing well. Uh, hey, something happened in the in the NHL over the weekend that uh, I, I thought I'd get your thoughts on here before we talk blues. Keith Yandel, Keith Yandel has his consecutive game streak, which is the longest in the history of the game. He recently passed Jarvis, right? He's up to 989. He had it stopped because he was made a healthy scratch. Put some thoughts around that one for me. 
I don't like it. I believe that's what happened with Gary Unger here as well. I don't think he was injured when they ended his Iron Man streak. And at some point, if a guy is not performing, and by the way, I don't know that there's really an excuse in this particular situation, but if you want to take a look at somebody else, it can't last forever, right? Well, it's an interesting one because it's not like the Philadelphia Flyers are going anywhere. Right. So they wanted to take a look at somebody else, This and, and they end up losing that game anyway. And Keith Yandel, I think, is like a league-worst minus 34 or something along those kind of lines. But it's a streak you put in there, and you, it, it, to me it feels different. If he's a seventh defenseman, sixth, seventh defenseman on a team that has a chance to make the playoffs to do something, I kind of get it. Uh, th- this one's a tough one for a team that's going absolutely nowhere. It's like a streak that ended – and I'm not sure it needed to end then because of that reason, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Curbs. Well, let's talk a little Blues. The Blues uh, getting three out of four victories on this Canada trip. They battle back versus Edmonton on Friday, get a point in overtime. What are your takeaways from the Blues trip? Well, I, I think that there's, uh, you know, they go out there to Western Canada, and it's a, a di- traditionally difficult trip. It's an excellent trip if you get six uh, or five out of six possible points. And now you come home and look, three of your next four are against those non-playoff teams. We saw, we've seen what's happened with the Blues recently on that. So whatever they do, they've got to put a little added focus and, and not give back the, the points that they just earned. And, and I know I don't, you don't legitimately give them back, but you look at what's happening with these other teams around the league and, and, and look at, again, that Minnesota won again last night, a real solid win over Washington. Vegas gets the overtime win over over Vancouver. Check out the standings, and you'll see exactly why the Blues have to keep that pressure going. Curbs, the Blues get five out of six points on the trip. But how do you feel about the way they played? Well, listen, I, I like the way that they played for the most part. And, and even, I mean, throw in the, the game against Vancouver before they went on that trip, Randy. You know, and, and you're talking about seven out of eight points. And you were playing every one of those games mattered. They mattered greatly to Vancouver. They, they clearly matter to Edmonton and, you know, Calgary is, they're trying to right the ship a little bit and they got some bad news that morning, you know, when they, when Sean Monahan was declared out and done for the season due to an injury. So um, every team was playing for something. I, I just, when you, when you develop some of the bad habits that the blues had kind of prior, it takes a few games to work it out. And, and I was looking forward to this stretch for that one reason that every team had something to play for, because now you, your backs are against the wall and, and look, how important was that with the way those other teams at Dallas continuing to win? Look, you are, you're right now, I think you're what? You're three points, four points out of second place in the Central Division, but you're also four points away from completely falling out of a playoff spot. That's how tight things are. And, and so the, I think all around, I thought their, their, their play was really, really solid, except for the, the, the first period or the first half of the first period in Edmonton. Well, that's my next question, Curbs. <laughs> Obviously, Jordan Bennington getting pulled from that game in the opening period after allowing four goals on 13 shots. This is a really tricky situation, and I know it's a tough question to answer, but if you're the Blues, where do you go from here with with number 50? Well, it, it's pretty clear where they're going from here, and that's that that right now is they're riding Billy Huso, and, and you'll put Jordan Bennington on some starts You know, when, when you need him from a schedule. And that'll give Jordan some time to continue to right the ship. Look, the team was brutal in front of him, and you know, I mean, they just they clearly didn't have his back on those first couple of goals. Nothing he could do about it. That puck was just taking some wacky bounces, you know. And, and I really think, you know, maybe you get the, the, the save on the next two goals, but definitely the uh, definitely the third one, you know. But then again, Connor McDavid's left all alone and untouched in front of the net on the fourth goal, and it's Connor McDavid. So, 
You know, to, to me, you can. It's been this way for a while. It, it's been Jordan Benny, or I'm sorry, it's been Billy Huso's net, and, and they'll keep riding that. And you know, I still, I, I still think that you're going to see some big games uh, coming down the stretch here with some important points earned from number fifty. Curbs, you've been broadcasting hockey for a long time. Have you ever seen a team and apples to apples that plays? as differently as the Blues appear to play when Bennington is between the pipes as opposed to when Huso's between the pipes. Yeah, you know, you look, and, and, and I think, and off the top of my head, I'm, I'm not going to pull out a great example for you, Randy, but there is something different there. Now, I, I think what what happens to me, the psyche of the team is, when it just hasn't gone well, and you brought up a great example earlier in the show and on Twitter when you were talking about, you know, that Brian Elliott example, you know, it would get to the point where you, the team almost plays to not allow a goal when the goaltender is struggling, if that makes any mm-hmm. sense. You're almost, you're almost a little hypersensitive to making a mistake because you're not sure the puck is going to stay out of your net versus just playing because you know that that save is going to get made. And I think that may be where, where the psyche of, of the team is here. And, and you know, it, it's still something they're going to have to battle through in the group in front of them as well because you're still going to need those critical points, I think, in the games that, that Jordan Bennington is going to play here. So, you know, to me, it it's a tough situation because you need to earn the points. But this is one of those – I look at it just – the way I'm looking at it, Randy, is just like a goal scorer, right? If, uh, if the guy's in a slump and you know, the coaches say you just got to kind of work harder and work harder and get your way out of it. The challenge for me with Jordan Bennington, from the mental side of it, is this This is a guy that his M.O. has always been, he battles back. That, that game after a stinker for him has always been awesome, right? Well, he hasn't been put in the net many times this season after a stinker. And, and it's, it's gone back to Billy Huso, especially here maybe the last, uh, oh, you know, half of the season or so. So I think some of that battle that we've seen from Jordan Bennington we haven't had a chance to see because Billy Huso's been good enough that when he's gone in there, he's taken the net and not relinquished it. So um, I don't know if it's an off-season reset. I don't know if it happens during this season. And I also don't know if it's my head or my heart. But I still think that Jordan Bennington is going to play a pretty big role in this thing. Hey, uh, you know what? And you talk to Joey and people around the club every night that are hockey people. You and I never played goal. But I'm, I feel yeah. the same way. It's amazing how... Hockey people, people that have played the game, are almost universally in agreement that Jordan Bennington still is a guy that you can win with, and the, there's a belief that he's going through a bad slump. There is, and look, I spend a lot of time on this road trip talking about the goaltenders with the coaches and and some other people that you know that that you saw Corey Hirsch, a former goaltender, right, and former Blues goalie coach, who was a broadcaster in in Vancouver, and it's. When I talk to them, there's not the level of panic and worry that you hear from fans or with the questions that we get when it comes to it. They, they look the way they break this down, and in, there's a little more obviously, you know, analytic detail to it. But in terms of the quality chances and stuff, guys, and, and this is the challenge that the both not not only Jordan Bennington but Billy Huso has had as well. Mm-hmm. And, and this isn't taking anything away from Billy Huso, but go back to go back to that first period, the first 13 minutes that we talked about. Jordan Bennington faced 13 shots. He faced two breakaways from Connor McDavid, turned one away. He turned away uh, Leon Dreisaitl, and I think he had two other two-on-ones that he saved. So you put that into perspective, and it, it you needed some more saves, no doubt about it, but you just needed better play in front of him. 
The numbers aren't good. I just don't know that it's been as bad a situation because I'm trying to put the whole team perspective in it, and that's what some of the coaches were pointing out to me and stuff. So I, I, that's, that's, I guess that's why I tend to have a little bit of hope and some thought here that I, I still think he's going to play a pretty big role in how things are going to shake out. Curbs, last thing, we always keep an eye on the St. Louis guys in the NHL, especially those five first-rounders from a few years ago. Logan Brown is here, so we see him all the time. Matthew Kachuk. Uh, Luke Cunnan, Trent Frederick, and Clayton Keller suffered a broken leg the other night, so we won't get a chance to see him. Uh, a bummer for Clayton Keller, who has turned into a, a pretty solid player for Arizona. He's not a superstar, but a, a nice, every nice night player. Yeah, a, a really good player, and a player that's going to be the cornerstone of probably them turning you know things around here. The Coy- Coyotes are going to go into a, a a really interesting situation here with their, their home building going to Arizona State for the next three years and playing in front of only 5,000 fans each of those ways. But Clayton, Clayton Keller has really turned into a very, very good player from him, and it's a disappointing injury. That, you know, he broke his leg. It looked a lot like the time when Steve Ott fell into the boards yeah. and basically you know ripped his hamstring right off the bone there. Both of them, right? So, uh, yeah, but, but it, 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 it was, and that, that one was nasty to see, but He'll be back. That's the good news. He's young enough, and those younger bodies heal a lot more than our older ones, Randy. That's what I know for sure. <laughs> That's right. And Keller, by the way, was leading Arizona in scoring. Still does. 63 points in 67 games, 28 goals, 35 assists. So he's he's a nice player, but the Blues won't have to deal with him tonight. Curbs, I will be at the game tonight, so I'll come up and see you. All right. Can't wait to see you guys. Looking Thank forward you. to it. Have Thanks, Curbs. That yep. is the voice of the St. Louis Blues, Chris Kerber on 101 ESPN. Next up... We've got the fight. We've got a returning victor, the current champion of the fight here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Character and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Actually, today Randy Carricker is not the undisputed king of Morning Drive. He lost on Friday to Eric, who is with us now on 101 ESPN. So Eric is currently the undisputed king of Morning Drive, or at least the undisputed king of the fight. <laughs> Eric, good morning. How was your weekend? Good morning. It was fantastic. What made it so fantastic? I want to hear about it. Uh, Well, uh, turned into the Blues game and thought, oh boy, we're really behind. That was the end of Edmonton game. And just glad they scavenged a point, Um, showed some grit, and hopefully, you know, that'll continue the rest of the season. And just enjoy the weekend. Spring, it's getting outside. We had some great weather and getting ready to open up the pool soon. So it's a good weekend. I love it. Pool, pool party at Eric's house. And I'm sure he walked around there and pulled it. some people around town and he won the fight. I mean, come um, on, how, how's that not going to get your weekend going? Uh, I celebrated by getting uh, another tattoo. So, <gasps> What'd you get, Eric? I'm a little inked up. Well, uh, we uh, it was actually my dog of 12 years. We unfortunately had to have her euthanized, and oh. so it was it was her tag. Oh, my goodness. Uh, but I, already got, I already got my Blues Cardinal tattoo, so... I, I, Randy, if you're ready, I'll go get another one uh, with you when the when the Blues or the Cardinals win this coming season, championship seasons. So okay, you'll have to present that to him because I don't know if Absolutely. he's going to go for that. What was your dog's name, Eric? 
Ruby. She was a Portuguese water dog. She was awesome. Oh, my gosh. Well, this one is for Ruby. This one's in honor of Ruby. All right, Eric. Good luck to you, okay? Thank you. All right. Question number one for our returning champion, Eric. Adam Wainwright made his first opening day start for the Cardinals in 2009. Who got the nod to, to start opening day the previous season? Was it Chris Carpenter, Lance Lynn, or Kyle Loesch? Chris Carpenter. Albert Pujols is tied for the active lead in opening day home runs with five with which National League outfielder? Is that Christian Yelich, Jason Hayward, or Bryce Harper? Uh, I'm going to go with Bryce Harper. Eric, who is the only pitcher to hit multiple home runs in an opening day game? Is it Madison Bumgarner, Don Drysdale, or Carlos Zambrano? I think Madison Bumgarner was a pretty good hitter. Not No Shohei Otani, but we'll go with Bumgarner. All right. The only year with a batting Triple Crown winner in both leagues was 1933, and both winners played in the same city. Which city was that? Was that New York, Philadelphia, or Chicago? Uh, let's go with New York. Okay. We are checking Eric's score here. Yep, confirming. Waving in Randy, who's looking at his phone. Randy, hello? Can't see me? Can't hear me? Trying to get his attention. Randy, yep, there we go. All right, we got him, we got him, we got him. Eric, how do you feel? What's your confidence level? Well, last time I said, well, maybe 50-50, and we went four for four and then a second tiebreaker. So I I just hope I uh, 50-50 again. Okay, okay, he's hoping for 50-50. Randy, say good morning to Eric. You remember him in Beach on Friday. Yeah, Eric, how was your weekend? It was wonderful. How was yours? It was really good. I got a chance to carry a lot of stuff. A lot of landscaping rocks and mulch and stuff like that. Michelle thought, wow, I, I wish I could do that. Yeah. We were I was out in the yard too, getting ready for spring, <laughs> pool opening. If I win today, I'll have you guys over for a, a little party. Okay, I'm gonna throw this one. <laughs> yeah, come on. He's got a pool, right? You know, he's got a pool. He's got a pool. <laughs> Think of the team here. Now, Randy, Eric got a tattoo over the weekend to honor oh. his dog who unfortunately passed Ruby. But uh he says he has a Cardinals and Blues tattoo and wanted to pose to you maybe if the blues win again that you would add to the ink. If the Blues win the cup again, I might just get another sash because uh-huh. I've got the 2019 champ, so I could get another sash put on that would say whatever year. Yeah. I'm not getting another tattoo, but I could add to the one I have. You could yeah. add to the one. Uh, what kind of dog was Ruby? She's a Portuguese water dog. Oh, man. I'm sorry that you lost her. Yeah. But she was wonderful. Lots of great memories. Great. That's good to hear. That's what it's all about. This one's Absolutely. for Ruby. We're yeah. thinking of Ruby today. All right, Randy, are you ready? Yeah. It's kind of like uh, when... Um, the former late owner of the Broncos held up the Lombardi Trophy and said, this one's for John. Who was that guy? Who was that one that just died of Alzheimer's? uh, Yeah, Pat Bolin. Pat Pat Bolin. Randy, are you ready? Ready. All right. Adam Wainwright made his first opening day start for the Cardinals in 2009. Who got the nod and started opening day the previous season? That would have been 2008, obviously. Yeah, that's, that's the year. I'm going to go with Kyle. No, 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 no. He was later. Um, 2008. Carpenter was coming off of the Tommy John from 2007. Obviously, a ton of respect for Carp. Um, 2008. Who else would have been around? It was really not a memorable squad. Um. I'll go with uh, 
Go with Chris Carpenter. Albert Pools is tied for the active lead in opening day home runs of, with five with which NL outfielder? Which National League outfielder? Opening day home runs with five, yeah. Um, my initial thought would be that Mookie Betts has had a lot of success on opening day. So, I guess I'll do the lifeline just to see if Mookie's on there. Is it Christian Yelich, Jason Hayward, or Bryce Harper? Hmm. Bryce Harper has also had, obviously, a lot of success on opening day. Hayward hit one in his very first opener. Uh, Let's see. He has played since 2010. I'm guessing that he has not done it in virtually half of his opening days. Harper has been pretty good. And then Yelich, not a big home run hitter until he got to Milwaukee. So I am going to go, I guess, with Bryce Harper. Randy, who is the only pitcher to hit multiple home runs in an opening day game? Hmm. Uh, I'll go Mad Bum, Madison Bumgarner. The only year with a batting triple crown winner in both leagues was 1933, and they both played in the same city. What city is it? 1933. Well, let's see. You had two teams in Philly. You obviously had two teams in Chicago. And you had two teams in New York. Um, I don't think in 33 you had a triple crown winner for the Yankees. But you did have the Giants. And you I mean, just play the odds here. Uh, well, no, because only one triple crown winner for the, among the Dodgers and the Giants. Philly, Philadelphia A's, and Philadelphia Phillies, and Chicago. Hmm, I don't know if a White Sox has ever won. Who will leave it out here? I guess that's about it. Um, I guess I'll go with Philly. Wow. This was a really close fight. I thought we were headed to the tiebreaker round, but we are not. One person got three correct. One person got two. Does Eric live to see another day? Matt, let him know. Just win, baby. Eric, it came down to the last question. I thought Randy was not going to go Philly. He did, so he just he beat did. me three to two. All righty. It's a good fight. It was good a good time. fight. Thank you, Eric, for listening. Thanks for playing. Have a great rest of your week. As you too. Thanks, Eric. All right. And shout out again to Ruby. We've all lost yeah, pets. It's the Ruby. worst. It's really the worst. Okay, so Adam Wainwright made his first opening day start for the Cardinals in 2009. The pitcher who got the nod the previous season season was Kyle Loesch. It, it was, was Loeschy. Hmm. It was Kyle Loesch. April 1st, 2008 versus the Rockies. Versus the Rockies. Albert Pujols is tied for the active lead in opening day home runs of five. He is tied with Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper was indeed the answer. The only pitcher to hit multiple home runs in an opening day game is Madison Bumgarner, who has two, and that happened on April 2nd, 2017. And I think they were both against Kershaw. I think they were, yeah. Wow. Yeah, Matt Bum can break.
Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and the only year with a batting triple crown winner in both leagues was 1933. Both winners played in the same city. That city was Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. It was Chuck Klein of the Phillies and Jimmy Fox of the A's. There we go. All right. Why are you shaking your head no? I thought I, I I thought you were I just couldn't believe I thought you were you weren't going to go with that one and then you just worked the way you just worked it out slowly but surely I, it was fascinating I you were this close to four jacking it with the loche with the loche guess right off the top I was thinking loche was later for some you reason never cease to amaze me Randy <laughs> that's Michelle that's Matthew I'm Randy coming up a big event happening at the St Louis Missouri Athletic Club we're going to talk about that and. How are you feeling right now about uh, what's going on with your St. Louis Blues? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN. And you hear Michelle often talking about the Missouri Athletic Club here on our show. And every year they have a fantastic ceremony with the U.S. Basketball Writers Association honoring the best that college basketball has to offer. And right now, Aaron Pollitz from the MAC joins us on 101 ESPN, their event coming up next Monday. And Aaron, uh, first of all, thanks for taking some time with us. Good to have you with us on Carricker and Smallman. Thanks, Randy. Uh, great to be with you and Michelle today. Well, Aaron, this is an amazing award ceremony that happens with the U.S. Basketball Writers Association. How did it end up in St. Louis, and how did it, the MAC become the home for this event? Yeah, the uh, U.S. Basketball Writers Association approached the club in 2005 when St. Louis hosted the Final Four about being the site at which they would host their recognition for men's player of the year, women's player of the year, coaches of the year, etc. And that event, uh, as I understand it, went well. And over the course of years, U.S. Basketball Writers Association elected to stop trying to host events on a piecemeal basis at whatever site the women's final four or the men's final four might be at. And they uh, elected, it seems, to pick somewhere sort of central uh, within the nation, somewhere they've had a good experience And since 2018, uh, the site for the event has been here in St. Louis at the Missouri Athletic Club. And Aaron, you've had some great winners in the past. We've had the opportunity to meet Zion Williamson and Trey Young and some of the great women's players over the years. If people want to come on Monday, how can they get in? Yeah, we're close to being sold out and we're still waiting to see how the last couple dozen of tickets will go based on the award winners and, you know, how much of their family they're bringing with them or their SID staff or whatever the case may be. So right now, uh, your best bet to get in the room is to find yourself a friend who's a member of the Missouri Athletic Club and to see if you can uh, persuade them to get you in uh, at a table they've already purchased. If it's the case that we have some tickets that can go to the public, the club will be uh, expressing that on its social media accounts And I expect that would take place in the next two or three days. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Or like I said, find a club member who's a friend and uh, get in that way. And Aaron, have the winners already been announced or will that come later? The winners have been announced and I can run you through them if you like. We'd love to hear it. Great. On the women's side, the freshman of the year, and that's an award named after former great Tamika Catchings, will be DePaul, uh, DePaul University's Anissa Morrow. The coach of the year on the female program side, uh, she's a national champion again as of last night, Dawn Staley from South Carolina. 
And the Women's Player of the Year, what's called the Ann Myers Drysdale Award, will go to South Carolina's dominant big, Aaliyah Boston. On the men's side, Tommy Lloyd from Arizona will be the Henry Iba Coach of the Year Award winner. The Freshman of the Year hails from the SEC, Jabari Smith from Auburn. That's an award named after Wayman Tisdale. And the Men's Player of the Year, the Oscar Robertson Trophy Award winner, is the University of Kentucky's Oscar Sheeway. Great. And that'll be a great night. A lot of uh, fans will get an opportunity to mingle with and see those people win their awards. And our own Fastlane is going to be there from 2 to 6 on Monday. Aaron, thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. You bet, guys. Have a great day. You too. And, Michelle, you think about this event, plus the Herman Trophy, which is the Heisman Trophy of soccer. The MAC really does a great job with college athletics and getting those athletes and coaches into town to honor them. Yeah, these are the the biggest and best names in college basketball from a player perspective, from a coaching perspective. And it's happening right here in downtown St. Louis every year. I don't even know if people are really aware of how big of of an event this is. And it's happening right at the MAC. Congratulations to the MAC. And as Aaron said, find a friend that's an MAC member if you want to get in on Monday. Meanwhile, Michelle, the Blues are kind of rolling. They've taken seven of their last eight points, two games against Vancouver, one against Edmonton, one against Calgary. The only loss was the overtime loss against Edmonton after they had been behind 4-1. to one. And I think most of us figured they were going to lose like 8-2 to two yeah, to Edmonton course. after the way things started. I love the fact that the Blues are where they are. It could be a lot worse. But it just doesn't seem clean to me. It doesn't seem like they're... They're winning in the way they want to win. Getting outshot 43-25 by Calgary. Getting outshot by Edmonton 40-36. to It just doesn't seem like this is Blues hockey, even though they're coming away with points. It, it doesn't give you a lot of confidence in this team. And I look back to this entire season, Randy, and as soon as the Blues would pull out a gritty stretch like this and you'd feel really good about them and we would have the same conversation, the Blues seem to be rolling. It doesn't really matter what obstacles put in front of them. They're battling back, even though they get put in deficits. Look at the way that they grind out wins. And then they go in a bit of a slump or something happens and you tend to not feel confident in them. And obviously this is an incredibly important stretch for them as they're vying for playoff position. And so... Even an ugly one you will clearly take. You will always take that. But I don't know if I feel super confident in this group based on the trends that we've seen this season. One thing that happened a couple of years ago during the time before the pandemic shutdown, the Blues was kind of like this. It wasn't this dramatic. But I said on the air, they just became good at winning. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a non-analytics thing. You, you really can't put your finger on it, but they found ways to win games. And I feel the same way right now. And even though they aren't playing as well as they did then, it's one thing about this group. They're, they're pretty good at finding a way to win and just winning the game. That's true. But when up until last week, we're in the end of March, early April, still talking about the team finding cohesion and finding their identity at that point in the season, that also doesn't, even though good teams always do find a way to grind it out, they mm-hmm. they find a solution, they make it happen. I've been waiting for this team to do that consistently this season. And when up until last week, you're still having conversations externally and internally about finding yourself, that doesn't make me feel great. <laughs> Jordan Cairo, by the way, we hope he'll be back in the lineup tonight after missing three games in uh in Canada, and they say it's non-COVID related, so I'm guessing it was the flu. And so my guess is, uh, it's not even a guess, Michelle. This is the fact. 
that the Bulls Jordan flu game greater than sign the Blues Jordan flu game? Well, we don't know that yet. Well, it's going to be hard to beat the Bulls Michael Jordan flu game. I don't know if anything could beat the Michael Jordan <laughs> flu game. Although, isn't it allegedly now the pizza game? It, yes. Allegedly. You know, according to The Last Dance, <laughs> the some, game. some yeah. sus person delivered yeah. a pizza only to him. Maybe I mean, that happened to Jordan Cairo. Maybe. <laughs> if a stranger is delivering pizza, do not eat it. <laughs> no, never. What are you doing, Jordan? Coming up on 101 ESPN, the NCAA championship game is tonight in New Orleans. And Dan Bonner of CBS will join us next to talk about it on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Opinions matter. Time now for today's big thing with Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by Seiden Stricker Noby John Deere. Find them online at SNPartners.com. Gets a screen, pulls up for three. The college basketball season will end tonight as North Carolina takes on Kansas for the national championship in New Orleans. It doesn't get any more blue blood than this championship game. That's Michelle Smallman. I'm Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Dan Bonner, who covers the NCAA basketball scene for CBS and ACC, joins us now on 101 ESPN. Dan, thanks so much for taking some time. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing fine. Thank you for the invitation. Well, let's start with this. As I mentioned, this is a pair of blue bloods. Uh, If you have Kentucky, if you have Duke, it could be as blue blood, but it doesn't seem to me that you can get any more blue blood than this. (laughs) Well, no, you have the number one and number three all-time winningest programs. You know, Kentucky's number two, Duke's number four. And so you're absolutely right about it. It's It's a fascinating end to what's been a very interesting NCAA tournament. Well, Dan, as you're looking at this game tonight, Kansas and North Carolina, if you're looking positionally uh, as far as matchups are concerned, is there a, a mismatch or something you're zeroing in on that you think could be the difference in this national title game? Well, I'm not sure that there's any mismatches. I think one of the problems that North Carolina has had throughout this tournament and certainly hasn't seemed to affect them much is that they basically only play five guys. Uh, there, there have been, for North Carolina, uh, more than 1,000 minutes played in the tournament, and their bench has played barely over 100 of those minutes. So their five guys have to play all the time, and if one of them gets in foul trouble or if one of them gets hurt, and we saw that at the end of the Duke game when Baycock limped off, I think that's a tremendous disadvantage for North Carolina. So it's not the matchup so much per se, It's just the fact that North Carolina has very little margin for error. Dan, we keep an eye on Caleb Love here in St. Louis because he's a St. Louis kid, and he clearly has emerged. You've watched him all year in the ACC. What does Caleb Love bring to the table, and why has he been so much more successful in the tournament? As to why he's been so much more successful in the tournament, that's an interesting question. I don't know that there's any one thing you can particularly put your finger on, but Since North Carolina basically has gone to this business of playing five guys, I think everybody knows exactly what his role is, and Caleb Love's role is to make shots. 
And uh, that's what he does. <laughs> and he's done that very effectively. Uh, you know, he and Brady Manick uh, have been two of the big keys because that's what North Carolina does. They make shots. That's why they've been so successful in this tournament because of their offensive prowess. Well, Dan, I want to go back to Saturday night to the UNC Duke game. It's hard to believe that that's the first time that those two programs have seen one another in the tournament, but it was a game that had a lot of hype surrounding it and it far exceeded it. It was just an unbelievable matchup from start to finish. But how do you feel about that being the end for Coach K? I think all of us just kind of assumed that Duke might find a a way to cut down the nets and have a storybook ending for Coach K. But what did you think about that being the end for him? Well, you know, it was going to end only one of two ways. And, uh, you know, the Hollywood storybook version has Duke winning and Mike Krzyzewski cutting down the nets. But life is very rarely the Hollywood storywood ver- uh, Hollywood storybook version. And, uh, you know, Duke, I thought, made an incredible run through the tournament. Uh, you know, they lost their last regular season game, as people have noted ad nauseum. And then they got whacked in the ACC tournament by a Virginia Tech team. That was a really tough matchup for them. But they really put it together uh, in the NCAA tournament. And you're right. That uh, semifinal game was everything everyone could have hoped for, not only with that Duke-North Carolina rivalry, but in a national semifinal. Dan Bonner of CBS with us on 101 ESPN. Dan, one of the guys that played really well for Kansas on Saturday was their center, David McCormick. Baycott got hurt at the end of that uh, North Carolina-Duke game. You would think under normal circumstances that Baycott would have a significant advantage, but if he isn't 100%, what do you think of the the Baycott-McCormick matchup? Well, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup, but let's, let's understand it's not the Baycott-McCormick matchup. It's the Baycock-McCormick-slash-Lightfoot matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that Mitch Lightfoot has played tremendously well in short spurts for Kansas in this tournament. His you know, ability to rebound the ball, his ability to block shots, he's a threat to score on the inside. Uh, so I think, again, I've said it, North, North Carolina playing simply five guys, they're at a disadvantage, because, and that's one position in particular – where Kansas can run a couple of guys at Baycott, and that makes it harder for Baycott if he has any limitations at all. One last thing from me, Dan Bonner of CBS, and that's in regards to Hubert Davis, who in his first year becomes the third guy to coach a team to the championship game Larry Brown lost for KU uh, or for UCLA when he was there. And then obviously Steve Fisher won with the Fab Five. Uh, Hubert Davis has done a magnificent job. It helps to take over North Carolina. But uh, what what is your impression been of watching Hubert Davis coach North Carolina throughout the year and how is that team ascended what do you think of their trajectory under him their trajectory has obviously been very good and i think you know it's funny that north carolina is an eight seed in the ncaa tournament and i'm not saying that's a mistake it's based on the metrics that we use to determine who gets in and how everybody's seated and i think it points out the fact that the metrics are very prejudiced toward november and december and how you play And I think that Hubert Davis had to settle in. Uh, I think he had to sort of put in his own style. It's a different style than they played for years under Roy Williams. Uh, He had to convince his players to believe in him. He had to figure out what their roles were. And so I think what he has done during the course of the season with obviously a very talented group is figure out a way to put the pieces together in a manner that they can be most successful. 
And I think that's something that the way we do the metrics penalizes them for coaches. It doesn't really allow them to develop their teams. But, of course, it doesn't make any difference because eight seed or not, here they are in the national championship game playing very well. Well, Dan, who do you think cuts down the net tonight? Is it Kansas or North Carolina? Well, I, I had the opportunity to see Kansas a couple of times in the tournament, and I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw in person. And so, uh, you know, we've been talking about how well North Carolina is playing, but I think the one team that might be playing better than them is Kansas. And I think Kansas has more guys. Uh, and so I think that this is going to be a very high-scoring game. I think that's the only chance that North Carolina really has is if this game is in the 80s or 90s. But I think Kansas can certainly match that. So I think I think Kansas is going to cut down the nets in what I think has the possibility to be an extremely entertaining championship game. Dan Bonner, we always enjoy your work on CBS and as an analyst, whatever you do. Thanks so much for taking some time with us and enjoy the game tonight. Well, thank you. You guys enjoy the game, too. And again, thank you for the invitation. You got it. That's Dan Bonner of CBS with us on 101 ESPN. And Michelle... It's interesting, the tournament every year, because we do love this year with St. Peter's. We love the Cinderella, but by the time we get to the Final Four, and especially when we get to the championship game, almost without fail, you've had Butler make it a couple of years. You've had uh, you had uh, Wichita State make it, but almost without fail, you've got a couple of blue bloods. It doesn't bother me when we get to a championship game and it's schools that we see all the time. Well, no, I mean, look at Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know you have you have two elite programs going at each other in the final four, and that's what you want. You want to see the best talent competing against each other. And I wonder. I asked about Hubert Davis, and he is just such a happy guy. And I wonder if your face of the franchise. He's been visible on ESPN for a long time. Not that a sixteen-year-old watched a lot of him, but I wonder if a guy that gives that vibe, helps in the recruiting process. I love that he cries, by the way, after mm-hmm. games. You can just feel how emotionally invested he is in this and how much he cares for his players and how much he loves these guys. And I just I appreciate that he's not afraid to express that on national television. Maybe he can't mm-hmm. control it, but I just <laughs> think that it's really refreshing to see a coach be that emotional. And I think it's really cool. And I'm probably one of the few... But I just think the versatility of coaching a basketball team and then having to deal with the FBI, I, I think that's a real positive for a coach, too. I think there are a lot of things that coaches can't do. And that that coach that can deal with the FBI on a regular basis, I think, is just a pretty cool thing. Yeah, we're seeing two elite programs at that right now. <laughs> we, we are. Tonight. We, we are. Yeah. But you know what? It's not like 2005, Randy, where they just don't go to class and no one cares. It's, you know, the FBI is a whole different animal. Michelle, they have basket weaving? So they, they went to class. Come it was just, yeah. yeah. You know okay. what's funny about that at North Carolina? You know what? Imagine where Illinois would be if Darren Williams didn't have to go to class. That's all I'm saying. It's true. Come right. On. Unfair, ma- unfair matchup. You think about how we have joked basically my entire life. People talk about college athletes and say, oh, he's taking basket weaving. They literally had a basket weaving class in North Carolina. At Illinois, there was a major called leisure studies. Leisure you, studies. Do you remember what Bat Liner did in his senior year? Now... He had graduated, so it, it was a senior year of football, but the only class that he took in his last year at USC when he was playing football was ballroom dancing. That's amazing. <laughs> and no disrespect to the leisure studies majors, by the way. Oh, no. it's a, I think it's in the parks and recs uh, portion mm-hmm. of studies, but 
I just, yeah. What, what are you learning? I think I might have been studying? able to Leisure? major in that. Leisure could you, studies? Yeah. Could, could you have pulled that off, you think? I question why I didn't take that route. Yeah. I would, I would love to be an expert in leisure. I think we kind of are. <laughs> I mean, a degree in leisure? Why not? We're pretty good. That's Michelle. I'm Randy, and that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, the Cardinals with their last two spring training games before coming home for the opener on Thursday. We're going to talk to Danny Mack about today's lineup and what we might expect on Thursday. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy, and we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line and the voice of the Cardinals getting ready for opening day on Thursday. Danny Mack is also getting ready for his final broadcast of... 2022 in spring training. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Actually, Randy, yeah. first of all, I'm doing great, guys. Are you back but here we, already? Yeah, we're not doing the games uh, today or tomorrow, so next game will be Thursday. Looking forward to that, and uh, we're glad that you're back here. And by the way, congratulations to your daughter. Well, thank you. She got her first hole-in-one yesterday. Pretty cool. So I got right. to witness it. I've seen my, my son has two of them. I got to witness one of those. And then I, I witnessed one uh, yesterday. So pretty cool. Dan, have you ever gotten a hole-in-one? I have not. And I've played a lot of golf <laughs> and a lot of bad golf. And I've been close a couple of times. I've seen, I think I was thinking yesterday, I think I've seen three in person. And it was Al Roboski playing with him many years ago. Uh, we were on the road. He got a hole-in-one. And then I mentioned my son and then my daughter. And those are the three I've seen. My best shot of my life was one time when Dan and I were playing at Peevely Farms and on number 18, I hold out from about 130. So I'm going to take it. I'm not going to count it as a hole-in-one, but I'm going to take it as my best shot ever. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, if you chip in, I, I consider that basically a hole-in-one for me. If I make right. a five-foot putt, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> but my daughter, she's she's pretty good golfer, so she just kind of was like, oh, cool, you know, and that was it. Good for her. That's great. Yeah. You know, not a lot gets them too excited. So, hey, good for them. Yeah. It's really cool. Really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. Well, that's amazing, Dan, and congrats to your daughter. Well, now that spring training is getting ready to be wrapped up here, what were some of your big takeaways from the Cardinal spring training as we head into the home opener on Thursday? I think the biggest one, Michelle, is Albert Pujols um, coming back home and the shape that he's in, the, the at-bats and the swings that I've seen. It's been limited, mostly on the backfields, but he looks really good. The other thing I would say is the uh, the young pitching that they have coming. And here we go again with another group of guys that I think can help this team. And most notable would probably be in no particular order is Andre Palante and Jake Walsh. And those two guys have a chance to make um, this team. Connor Thomas is a lefty that pitched really well against the Mets the other day when they took the regulars and put them back on the, the backfields because we knew rain was coming. So Thomas got the start. I really liked him. Doesn't throw hard, but, man, he throws a ton of strikes. He sinks it, and that's what the Cardinals are looking for. Jake Walsh is a guy, along with Palante, they both throw hard. And I would think that Walsh maybe has the inside track to make this team out of those three just because he's on the 40-man. So those are some of the takeaways that uh, I saw down in camp. Dan, I was thinking that of those three, it seems like only one can make it, right? It seems like the other 14 pitching spots are pretty well spoken for. I think so, Randy, and, and if they carry 15, which seems to be what they're going to do, their bench is set now with Brendan Donovan going back to AAA and being optioned there, and I thought he had a good camp. Wasn't you know great at the plate, but played all over the place 
defensively and, and handled himself at multiple positions, which we knew he could do on the infield. And then we found out he could do that on the outfield as well. So they put him at a couple of corner spots just to see how he would do, and he did fine. Um, but I, I'm with you. I think if, if the inside track is with any of these guys, it's probably Walsh. And in baseball, it's a business and a numbers game sometimes. And when you're on the 40-man roster, that gives you the inside track as opposed to others. So I, I would say this, though, with the injuries that are, are – and, and we're starting to see this now. One of the, the prevailing storylines of things that were talked about down in camp with – and you always see the, uh, the scouts. The scouts are there looking at players nonstop – and a prevailing thought that was there was that injuries could be significant because of a shortened camp and kind of a rush in the early portion of the season. Now, we're going to see if that plays out, but my point is, um, to the original part of what we are talking about, is that that would lend, lead itself to, you know, you're going to use probably 35 guys this year at some point, you know, in time, whether it's position player, probably more so pitching, but those guys are, are really close and ready to go. Numbers game may catch them, you know, on the outside looking in. But before it's all said and done, you're going to use a lot of these guys. Well, Dan, one of the injuries we know the Cardinals are already dealing with is Jack Flaherty. And until he returns, that fifth starting spot is up for grabs. Uh, What do you think about the notion that's being floated out there that the Cardinals might use that as a breeding ground for a little bit of experimentation, maybe using Jordan Hicks as an opener? Well, I talked about that during our our broadcast the other day. So this shouldn't be as a surprise to a lot of people that maybe read about it this morning. This was something I've been pointing out to fans all, uh, especially when I was doing the show with BK, I mean, all winter and, and spring long. This, this should not be um, a surprise. And the reason I say that, from people I talk to, now whether you believe in this or not, and I'm not sure if the Cardinals feel this way, I'd like to find out more as they go in this direction potentially, but with his unique stuff, which is throwing 100, 100-plus, 100 and by the way, he looks sensational in camp now it was limited i think he has three or four innings but i mean they're they're dominant innings and controlling the strike zone and just uh as good as i've seen him in a long time if you get him on a pattern where he was pitching every fifth day is that beneficial for him with his unique skill set and the pressure that he can put on his shoulder and his elbow because it is so special and it is at a higher level than others is it beneficial to have him pitch then do a bullpen, and then pitch every fifth day. So having a, a, a schedule that is um, always what you know you're going to get instead of being the guy that's going two out of three or three out of five or four out of six, is it better to get him on a schedule? I, I, I don't think anybody can answer that question until we see it be done, but I do like the idea of doing that with the uh, the fifth starter. If there's anybody that, that, to me, separated themselves for a fifth starter, I thought it was it – was, um, Woodford, as opposed to Verhagen. Verhagen was not very good in his last start, but you definitely can see that his stuff can play. It's just a matter of putting it all together. Dan, in Hicks' minor league career, he pitched in 37 games and started 34 of them. And I wonder sometimes if a guy, when he knows he has to pace himself, is apt to to develop better command because he knows he just can't air it out for an inning or two. Yeah, I think you back off for sure, and I, I've heard that from a lot of guys that when they, especially going from starting to relieving, they think, well, i got three outs to go get, and here you go, I'm going to give you the best I got, and all of a sudden it's 101, 102, when you, you are expected as a starter, you would like to think a minimum of five to six innings. The game has changed, and I know that's 
like blasphemy for people that watch Bob Gibson, but that's the way the game is right now, especially if you're carrying this many pitchers. You don't need him to go five or six. You need him to build up to five or six here in the first month, but uh, eventually, you know, it's, it's a situation where maybe it's best off for him to do that, and to your point, Randy, you back off and, and you throw more strikes inside the zone. He, he was sitting guys at like 99, 100, and it just looked like free and easy. It was crazy. <laughs> and, and the kind of movement that he had, and, you know, he's breaking off a, a breaking ball every once in a while. I mean, it was, it was really impressive. So we'll see what direction they want to go. But I think if you wanted to use the fifth starter and use him in a spot to where he may not start the game but give you a couple of innings, uh, I don't think that's out of the question whatsoever. Dan, one of the storylines heading into spring training that a lot of us were paying attention to was Paul DeYoung as he tried to find himself this offseason and hopefully see the products of that this spring training. And he's done a lot of impressive things. Where is your confidence level that we will see more of the 2019 version of Paul DeYoung in 2022? Well, they always say don't read too much into spring training, right? Mm-hmm. And they, they say don't read what you see into spring training and don't read into what you see in September with call-ups. But I will say this, he has looked a lot better. I had a long conversation with Paul outside the clubhouse. I think it was like last Thursday or Friday, and, um, and I've known Paul for a long time. He's, he's a great guy, very cerebral, very smart, understands that he needs to be better. And he said, you know, one of the things he talked about was that the, the organization showed initially in the offseason confidence in him, like, hey, you're our guy, and we understand that. So he stayed down in the West Palm area and went to a facility that a lot of very good major leaguers go to, and he's talking about just taking the ball up the middle. And so if you remember last year, as he said to me, he was pulling off a lot of pitches. Middle outer half couldn't get to. The inside pitch would you know, either tie him up or he pulls it foul. Now he's able to make the adjustment because he felt he was lunging a little bit too much and committed too much. So you're seeing him stay back. He's laying off the, the pitch that's up, which is a pitch that a lot of the league has gotten him off on, uh, gotten him out on. And the other thing is that, you know, he looked at was his mental um, side of the game. And he said, I, I didn't mean to be this way, but for the last couple of years, in maybe 2020, and he had COVID, and it was a struggle for him. And then last year, he said, I just wasn't locked in. He said, I was trying to mentally get there and where I need to be. And he said, I feel like a different guy this year. So let's hope that's the the results that carry over to the regular season. Dan, a couple more things. Number one, has my chance to have somebody call me cerebral passed me by? (laughs) Uh, Not great. (laughs) 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 And then to give you my mo. Not great. That was really good. Really good mo. (laughs) And finally, yesterday, Uh, you are a cerebral guy. You you you're very smart. Come on. but I, I look at cerebral as somebody who's really thoughtful too. I'm more of a uh, shoot from the hip kind of smart guy. No, you're thoughtful. You're you're. I mean, the, the way that you've told me about uh, your your love affair with Joan after all these years, and the way that you take her to like Chick Fil A and stuff on um, <laughs> anniversaries, I think that's it's delightful. By the way, uh, over the weekend we went it's to chick, yeah chicken out. Uh, our, our friend good. Mike Johnson, man, it's great. So if you get the opportunity, if you want to try some great chicken, chicken out throughout the area. My final question: Did you get a uh, Did you get a uh, advertisement with them? I mean, a sponsorship? No. It, uh, Mike is a friend. He, obviously, we all love in this room our uh, friends at Sugar Fire, and uh, they have the the high point. St. Louis and doing great things. Great local 
establishment. And uh, okay. yeah, so we we, right, well, we may want to go down that road. I'm just saying, I'm oh. your agent. Okay, I like that. I like it a lot. <laughs> okay, finally, Thursday, yes, three fifteen is game time. The Pirates are starting a right-hander, not a Will hard Will Albert Pujols be in the lineup? Yes. <laughs> Will he be? Uh, I'd say yes. Well, uh, we have a tweet here from Katie Wu who just says that Ali Marmol confirmed that Albert Pujols will be in the Cardinals opening day lineup. So, Dan, you're correct. Yeah. So uh, I think you do that. Now, if we were talking like a week from now, uh, maybe not. But I, I don't know if you guys know this. This is a little unique. It's a little different. The circumstances have changed just a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Daniel, well, I'll always... say that, by the way, I'll say this, um, and I was talking to Ollie about this the other day, and I don't know if you guys have like one minute to hear this. We but, do. Always. So, okay, so I asked him, I said, uh, it was just he and I talking, and I, I have a very good relationship with Ollie, and I said, how does Albert look? And he's like, man, he's in great shape. He said, number one, he said, uh, it took him two days Albert came to, to Ali and said, I can't believe how well I'm seeing the ball. He's like, I, I feel like I'm locked in already. Now, that was day two that he was at camp. And then he goes on the backfields, and they've been facing, uh, having him face right-handed pitching. And he's doing fine. And I said to Ali, I said, so, you know, you got to be careful. I mean, he's, you know, 42 and a lot of mileage and all that stuff. And he said, absolutely. So we're going to be careful. And, you know, the lefties are, are where you probably go. But... He did say, don't be surprised that if we feel that the matchup is good with Albert with a right-hander, um, we're, we're going to put him in there. He, he goes, this guy's got something left in the tank. And I, I just think, too, on opening day, can you imagine the the energy that uh, we're going to have Thursday? And this guy, man, he feeds off that stuff. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't shock me if we had a great moment of some sort coming from Albert Pujols. It's going to be a special day anyway. Yeah, not many have risen to the occasion like he has no, over the no. years. No doubt about no, it. No, it's going to be fun. Hey, I know that it's not your normally scheduled day, but would you be kind enough to join us in the morning on Thursday? Well, since you put me on the spot, I guess I better say yes. <laughs> okay, thanks, Dan. Because you're one of my best friends, and I figured that uh, I figured that you'd say it anyway. So, well, sure, I'd be happy to. <laughs> you know what, Dan? At least though, this year you don't have to sit outside in the cold. You can call us. It's not yeah, like that last was year. brutal. <laughs> yeah, Where are they cool. putting you guys this year? We're inside at the Budweiser Brew House. That's a smart move. Yeah. You need to be inside, indoors, make sure somebody brings some donuts and coffee, and, and you guys uh, you know, get a base before you go to opening day. Oh, we will do that. And by the way, for Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Uh, Dan, <laughs> no we're problem. the Budweiser Brew House all day. The, uh, the entire station will be broadcasting there, and it's brought to you by Green Envy Lawn Care and by Budweiser. Awesome. Awesome. Well, uh, depending on what time I get down there, one way or another, we will either do it via the phone or in person. All right. You're the best. Thank you very much. See you later. Okay, guys. You too. Thanks. Take care. That is the great Dan McLaughlin, the voice of the Cardinals, and uh, you will hear his voice for opening day again. And I think this is your number 26 for Dan. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And uh, so you'll hear him on Bally Sports on Thursday. Calling Albert Pujols in the opening day lineup. By the way, this is his 22nd opening day, and he ties Carl Yastrzemski and Hank Aaron for second most opening day starts since 1900. Only behind, do you know? Louis Mays and Stan the Man? Pete Rose, 23. Really? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Great stuff. So, hope that's on the fight tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be for Thursday, but I guess not. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Maybe Randy will forget. I don't know. Coming up next, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. And it is time for... Well, for those who may have missed it when we were talking with Danny Mack last segment, we do have a bit of an update concerning the opening day lineup for your St. Louis Cardinals. Paul DeYoung playing? I would imagine that he's playing, <laughs> yes. But that's not it, Randy. That's not it. So after much debate back and forth on uh, our part, it seems like the Cardinals were pretty firm in what they wanted to do. Katie Wu and others tweeting that Ali Marmol confirming Albert Pujols will be in the Cardinals opening day lineup for the home opener on Thursday. The fact that it's his last season, the sentimentality is something that I really appreciate. And that's something that I've, I think we've all reasonably wondered about the Cardinals. Have they gone too far towards the business and numbers side and too far away from the old tradition meets today? And I like to, the, I, I love the fact that they're doing something that is sentimental rather than just cold-hearted numbers and math. And even if the numbers do bear out that maybe Dickerson's the better option or that Albert isn't the best person to use in this situation, sometimes you have to take that stuff with a grain of salt and think about what this does for the greater good, not only for the fans who clearly bought tickets to see number five step into the box in that moment and share their appreciation for him, but think about how many players on this team have been affected by Albert's return. The entire team gave him a standing ovation when he arrived at the ballpark. This is a move I think that's a positive for the greater good holistically of the team. Think about what it Mm -hmm. would mean for a guy like Nolan Arenado to see Albert Pujols get that ovation or a young guy like Harrison Bader who just signs this deal. I mean, do you really want to be Ali Marmol and have the conversation with Yachty or Molina that his buddy is not going to be in the (laughs) opening day lineup? I I just think that this is the right move regardless of what any numbers might tell you. By the way, Michelle, there are tickets available for Thursday's game. If you would like to go, then uh, single game tickets if you go to cardinals.com if we look at april 7th and let's see uh we've got a couple of tickets available in the diamond box row a for fifteen hundred dollars a piece oh that's it okay yep uh we've got some other diamond box row b for nine hundred dollars a piece by the way the diamond box row a also you get twelve dollars cards cash with those tickets okay great and then if you go first and third base field box three hundred and seventy five dollars and ninety cents that is one expensive ticket. That is the product of having Albert Pujols back in town, and you don't want to, want to disappoint those people. Can you imagine if he wasn't in the opening day lineup, how, how people would just be chanting for Albert the entire game? Yeah, they'd be booing if he wasn't in the starting lineup. Yeah, come on. We we know what we need to do yeah. here. Let's do it. I'm glad that they've already announced it and that we don't have to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Well, uh, speaking of money, front office sports reported over the weekend that Congress is exploring whether or not the Washington Commanders and their owner, Dan Snyder, withheld money that should have been given up to the league's visiting team pool. Mm. This is causing a lot of drama within the NFL, Randy. You know that uh, more than any other issue that the owners really care about money and money being withheld from them, no less. And according to Pro Football Talk, who talked to a lot of people about this, the dynamic among owners after this has been revealed that this could be Snyder's quote, death now as an owner. Regardless of everything else that has been out there about Dan Snyder and all of the issues that he caused, this could be the thing that takes him down. Yeah, you would think that you can't lie to the commissioner or the other owners, but the commissioner claims that a certain owner lied to him about buying land 
in California. He buys land all the time, Randy. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He's a global uh, developer. Yeah, they don't he know what he buys land, land for. They have no idea. But yeah, you if that's an agreement that the league has... Revenue sharing is at the core of what makes the NFL great. And if you aren't sharing revenue and you're holding back revenue from the other owners, I can see how that would be a death knell, figuratively speaking, not literally for Dan Snyder. But I can see how that would be a reason for the other owners to force him out. And it just blows my mind that he would think that he could do this and that it would never be found out. This is what I, I I know that these are very egocentric people that think that rules don't apply to them and usually rules don't mm-hmm. apply to them. But you really think that you're going to be able to do something like this for that and it's just never going to come out? That no one's ever going to figure it out? This is a guy that went to his video department and said, hey, put together a video of the cheerleaders in skimpy outfits or no clothes for me. He he thought that all of those cheerleaders and all of those people in his organization would never say something and that that would never get out. But that doesn't seem to be something that's been too problematic yeah. for him. I don't, well, and I don't, yeah, the other owners don't care about that kind of stuff, do yeah. they? No, of course not. They care about money. Can well, I have one other point here? Yeah, of course. Jerry Jones left NFL property. So all of the Cowboys merchandise that sold, the logo merchandise of the Cowboys that sold, all of it goes to the Cowboys. The other 31 teams share that revenue from jerseys, shot glasses, license plate frames, things like that. And Jerry basically told the group, hey, I'm not going to do that. And they said, well, okay. So I wonder if... If Dan Snyder would have just said, no, I'm not sharing my ticket revenue with you guys, if they would have said, no, okay. Not yeah, like they did with Jones. No, I don't think that's how it would play out because, unfortunately, he does not have the same power that Jerry Jones no. does. I think he would have said that and they would have said, okay, no, that's not how this <laughs> right. is going to go down. When Jerry, also known as the commissioner, says things, I, th- I think even if people want to push back, they don't have the power to do no. so. Well, Alex Smith was on with Rich Eisen on the Rich Eisen Show and was asked about Carson Wentz, the Washington Commander's new quarterback, and asked about how the organization and all of this dysfunction that we're talking about within the organization can impact the on-field product. And he asked Alex Smith if he has any advice that he would give to Carson Wentz, and here's what he had to say. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, that's tough. You know, I, I mean, I think you got to try to eliminate the noise there. You know, there's a lot of noise. Um, there's a lot of distractions. That entire organization, um, everything surrounding it, um, and 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 yeah, obviously, deservedly, that it's it's been flawed the last 20 years. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of distractions, and it's, it makes it difficult to kind of focus in on on the football. Um, but I think Carson's kind of been that's that's where he's at at this point in his career. This is really kind of make or break. He's getting one more chance. Uh, to kind of be the guy. Um, this is a team that, you know, has been, you know, almost desperate to try and get a franchise quarterback these last few years. Um, and can he be that? And so I think he's got to kind of go, he's got to lock in. Um, he, he cannot, like I said, can't get distracted. I mean, this is an opportunity. He's got to go make the most of it. And I think it's going to it's gonna be telling. Can he do that, right? I mean, um, the Cowboys kind of ran away with that division. I think the Eagles are going to continue to be better. Um, we'll see what happens up in New York, but yeah, I mean, can he, can he go make the most of this kind of last opportunity to be the guy here? How great! All of these off-field issues, so dysfunctional and so distracting that the the players even have a hard time 
pushing it out. And if ever there was a worst place for Carson Wentz to be with all of the drama that surrounds him, it's Washington, isn't it? It's going to a franchise that is just steeped in drama right now. And here is a quarterback who had a coach that got him because he wanted to salvage him. And then after a year said, nah, we're good. We gave up a number one, but we're going to move you for a number three. And a guy like Jim Ursay, who I think you know can be chaotic in his own right, being like, we got to turn the page on yeah. Carson Wentz. We're done with this experiment. And I just keep going back to if Alex Smith, who's as steady as they come and who we never heard about any off-field drama or you know anything less than him being a good leader and, and owning a locker room, if he even is coming out and saying there's a lot of distractions, it's really difficult with all of this noise mm-hmm. going on in the organization for you to do your job. If he had a difficult time doing it, and this is really the first we're even hearing him share a lot about that, I just don't know how Carson Wentz is going to be able no, to overcome that. it's not going to be great. And by the way, if you are... Jerry Jones or Mara and Tish with the Giants or Jeffrey Lurie with the Eagles. And it's not like the Redskins, the commanders are selling a bunch of tickets anyway. Don't you want to keep that guy in your division? Because that team has no chance to be good. Yeah, you'd think so. That's a good point. Yeah, you'd Mm. take the wins. Yeah, why not? Thanks, Michelle. (laughs) You're welcome. Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch and get you ready for the balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Michelle Derrick Gould reporting that Andre Pallante has been told that he will be the 15th pitcher on the Cardinal staff. So the lineup is, well, the, the roster is set now for... Thursday, opening day, so Palante makes it. Walsh does not. Uh, and uh, so the Cardinals are, are set with a 10-man bullpen, a five-man rotation. We don't know who the fifth starter is going to be, but uh, they're going to have that. And then you'll have basically 13 position players, eight starters, plus two DHs in Pujols and Dickerson, Kisner, Sosa, Newt Bar, that'll be your 13 position players. How are you feeling about this 2022 squad? I mean, we'll have time to really dive into this this week, but just based on the roster being set, your initial reaction? I worry about their pitching. I think they'll be great defensively. I think they'll be solid offensively, but I just don't know enough about their pitching. And even at the back end of the bullpen, where you think, okay, Helsley and Gallegos... uh, you feel, because of last year, okay about them. But I don't know about the 7th, 8th, even the ninth. I'm just concerned throughout. I'm concerned about Adam Wainwright's age. I'm concerned about the injury history of Hudson and Michaelis. I just have a lot of concerns and lack of knowledge, which I would guess that pretty much every fan in America has right now, including if you're a Dodger fan. Mm-hmm. You don't know about Clayton Kershaw. You feel pretty good. You, you should feel really good about Urias and Bueller. But you go out and get Craig Kimbrell over the weekend. Craig Kimbrell has not been great for a while now. So even a team like the Dodgers, even a team like the Mets is flawed and should give their fans a lot of concern. As a matter of fact, if I were a Mets fan, I'd feel more concerned about my pitching than I do as a Cardinal fan. And I think this first month of the season is going to be really interesting after a truncated spring training because guys aren't in the full rhythm yet. And I think teams are probably doing a lot of wait and see on some guys because they haven't gotten enough of a sample size or had the runway really to see them in spring training. And I wonder about injuries, too. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of guys were prepared to come to spring training, but there's always that that, you know, 
kind of holding your breath during spring training, a lot of guys are going to be healthy. And if your body's not 100% there yet and you're throwing it into a, a full season speed, I just wonder about injuries. And especially with a rookie manager, I would feel much better as, not that I, I would want Tony LaRusso right now as our manager, but because of Tony's experience in ramping a team up and getting them rolling after a shortened spring training, he's been there, he's done it, he's had to deal with all of that stuff. If I were a White Sox fan, aside from the fact that Lance Lynn's injury is going to keep him out at least a month, I would feel good about them being able to ascend throughout the course of April and May than I feel about most other teams. And I know you said that you feel like the Cardinals are going to be solid offensively. I certainly hope for that as well. But I'm not sold on it yet. I mean, I know that the last time we saw them, things were clicking. Mm -hmm. They were on a 17-game winning streak heading into the playoffs, and you saw a lot of positive signs, and you have in spring training as well. But there were still a lot of times last season where we were questioning the Cardinals' approach, the mm-hmm. Jeff Albert offense. And, I, I mean, the month of June was kind of an outlier, but there were times where we saw guys have dips from an offensive standpoint. And until we see that translate this year consistently, I'm going to wonder about that as well. Yeah, I have confidence in the corner infielders. I feel like O'Neill and Bader have figured things out. I have a lot of hope that Dylan Carlson is going to have a breakout year. Don't know about DeYoung. I think Tommy Edmond kind of is what he is. I hope that he gets better than a 308 on base. And then Yachty, you have to expect that he's going to decline again because he has for five years. But because of my outfield and my corner infielders, I feel like that they'll be able to put runs up on the board. That's Again, it's all about hope, boy, big boy, right? That's what, they, that's what Mo says. It's all about hope. Yep. Yeah. Well, especially as we sit here on April 4th. I hope. Yeah. (laughs) The other part of it is it's not a great division. That's true. So we we just have to put our head down. We, as Cardinals, put our head down, just play our best ball. Uh, We've got a balloon party coming up. We are going to record with Mark McGuire later this morning and air that interview tomorrow morning. So you'll hear from Big Mac. And by the way, he's going to be in town for opening day. Love that. Can't wait to see him. Looking forward to that. And uh, you will hear from him tomorrow morning. And then uh, we'll have more for you on Wednesday, including Bill DeWitt Jr., the Cardinals chairman. And on Thursday, just a monstrous opening day. It should be a lot of fun. Great job today by our producer and engineer, the one and only Matthew Rocchio. Thank you. Pleasure. And, Michelle, it's it's a happy Monday, isn't it? Yes, it is. We are that much closer to the home opener. We are. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Until tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Character and Smallman Podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. The college football playoff committee made their decision on Sunday, and as much as I loathe the idea of Ohio State losing their way into the college football playoff, I 100% agree with OSU making it in over Bama. Nick Saban citing some hypothetical point spreads to prove his point that the tie deserve a spot in the college football playoffs holds little substance when you consider Bama's best win is over Texas. No, the committee got it right. TCU had a great season with far more ranked wins than Bama and didn't deserve to lose their spot after playing a surging Kansas State in a championship game. And Ohio State, while not playing some of their best ball later in the season, was still 12-0 until they came face-to-face with my Wolverines. While the college football playoff system isn't nowhere near as good as it could be, it's better than what we had. And in a few years, it will be better for all of college football. Hi, this is Chris Howard, host of Plugged In with Chris Howard. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. From football to basketball to soccer and esports, we've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. 
And don't forget, bet online for the NHL, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet online where the game starts. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Do flowers have best friends? I don't know. Hey, look. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council.